And welcome to the Fuckatopia Radio Show. I'm your host, Mr. Christopher, and in this episode, we sit down for a mighty three-plus hours with author Dwayne Tudal and his book, Prince and the Purple Rain Sessions, 1983 and 1984, and we talk about everything pretty much covering the entire book. We kind of go a little bit all over the map. It's a great interview. There's no need for me to add any more time to it. Here it is. Dwayne Tudal, right here on the Funkatopia Radio Show. Welcome to Purple Prime Time. Here we are. We are just starting out here, and uh, I think we're just going to go into it. And I think this is uh, probably Dwayne on the line right now. Let us check and see. Dwayne is here. Dwayne yes. is here. Dwayne. How you doing? How you doing, guys? Welcome, welcome. It's exciting. Looking forward to this. Looking forward to this. I've been studying all day. Trying to get my brain in this uh, <laughs> knowledge. Reading my book again. <laughs> How you guys doing? Yes, yes, yes. You yes, know, yes. I was thinking because I, I, you know, I was trying to go through, and uh, I don't know if you heard me tell the story, but you know, I had the book, and um, I had actually bought an autographed version of it, and um, I was like really psyched about it. And then we, I took it on a cruise, and it was like, man, this thing is like really heavy. This is like a really big book, sure. and uh, so yeah. I, I ended up purchasing it again on the uh, in the Kindle version. And um, what's cool about it is that you can go in and you can actually, you know, click and highlight things. I'm like, okay, this would be good because then when we talk, I can go back and I can just, you know, pull it up and just look at all the highlighted things and, and remember to ask those as questions. And um, so that's the first thing. And what was cool was, is that when I was going back and I was looking at my highlighted sections, I saw some of the text around it and I was like, oh my God, is that, did I miss that part? <laughs> I started rereading the pages all over again. So I know exactly where you are. You're like, I've got to reread my book because it's such a volume. So let's let's start here. First off, welcome to Funked Up. Thank you so, so much for calling Thank in. Thank you. It's exciting. I'm waiting for this. I'm, uh, thank you. Thank you. I'm really excited to be there. I've been waiting to do this for a while, so this is exciting. Yes, it's going to be very, very cool. We're going to have a good time, and we're going to we're, people are going to be really ecstatic about getting this book by the time this is over. I'm, I'm positive, <laughs> because we're really going to kind of unveil a lot of little nuggets that, that I found, and Nikki's got a bunch of his own as well. Um, but one of the things is, let's start here. You, how, let, let's talk about you as a Prince fan. Where where did your Prince fandom start? Because there's no way that anybody writes a book of this quality and of this level of just information unless you are truly a hardcore Prince fan. So tell us a little bit about your background, about how you discovered Prince, when the first time you heard him, and and then leading up to when you decided to write this book. Okay, uh, I'll give you the, the, the Reader's Digest version. Um, I liked Prince uh, Controversy album was the first album I heard. Uh, and then um, one of the stations, I grew up in Baltimore, and one of the stations used to play a few songs from there. And then uh, 1999 came out, and I was in college, and that was kind of our jam for my sophomore year, uh, which would be 82, 83 uh, to the fall, spring of 84. And then... Uh, Purple Rain came out, and when Purple Rain came out, obviously, like everybody else, it just 
it kind of blew everybody away because you just once you saw that you thought I need to get everything he's ever done. You know, I need to get every B side, every uh, and this is before really bootlegs were able to get out. Not that I've ever heard of bootleg, but this is before um, uh, anything you could find just out. So you went back and you got the first two albums, and then you find out, oh wait, he had something to do with the time. Oh, oh, he had something to do with Vanity Six. <laughs> so you start collecting and you realize before you know it, you've got a, a stack of things and the guy had only been recording for a few years. Uh, and then Purple Rain, one of the, the things with, with the music is is I saw that um, they were playing at, at dances, you know, college dances and stuff. And I liked the music and, and I saw girls dancing and I liked girls. So it was perfect for me because that gave me an excuse to talk to them. Hey, you like this song too? Let's dance. And so it was perfect for me and... Like I said, I just started looking into more of the music, and then when Purple Rain came out, all the B-sides, and it just, you know, it grew from there. And, and I started working for a magazine called Uptown Magazine, um, out of, published out of Sweden. It was a Prince magazine, um, and it was a small staff of people, and we just wrote all the interviews, you know, all the um, articles. And there was actually, there wasn't that many people on the magazine. It's something I haven't talked about much, but there weren't, to tell you how few people were on that magazine, we'd sometimes make up names to sound like we were more people. Um, you know, that we, you know, just because we only had uh, probably about early on five, six, seven of us working on this. And we wanted to make sure it didn't look like the same five, six, seven people writing all the articles. So we'd sometimes make up a name or two just to kind of make it sound like, Oh, there's, you know, more people writing this. And it was kind of like the way Prince did with stuff with, you know, him saying Alexander Nevermind or other people. And so we were just trying to make it seem like we're bigger. But what happened was people started liking Uptown and the guy who ran it was a man named Pierre Nilsson who ended up writing, um, he wrote uh, DMSR, uh, which is still considered to be one of the best Prince books out there. And we all wrote The Vault together, if you've ever seen that book, um, which is probably still the best Prince book out there. Yes. Um, and uh, back then we used to joke about doing a studio session books. And I thought it'd be really cool. And so for about 20 years, I nibbled at it until my wife finally said, uh, are you going to actually write this book or are you just going to, you know, make it a hobby, a very pricey hobby? And I thought, yeah, I think I'm going to write it. And so um, I sat there writing it and I got finished with the book about a month before Prince passed. I finished the book in March of 2016, where I was actually done, Mark, to show her a copy and say, look, look, I did. And... I was really excited. And then Prince died a month later and I tried to figure out what to do because I didn't want to come out with a book right away and didn't want to seem like an opportunist. Um, so I went to, and like everybody else, I was massively depressed because, you know, we, you, any real Prince fan kind of makes that a big part of their life. Um, it's not just, you know, it's not just you hear the song, and go, oh, this is great. No, it's, it's a... A continual thing. You, you, you know. I, my CD collection. I'm looking right now. I've got all my other CDs and then prints, and just in one section. Where you know, so and I've got it in chronological order, but also then you know things in like the time all together or Apollonia Six next to Vanity Six. You know those kind of things. You just kind of organize it like that. And so it's a big deal when when that happened. And and when he passed, I called a lot of people that used to work with him and that I interviewed, and I asked them, Do you think it's okay if I come out with this book? And they said, well, we know you've been working on it for 20 years, so sure. And, and uh, so I um, wrapped it up, um, added a few interviews to kind of sum things up, and that was that. And it was great. And, and uh, 
that's my journey, basically, if that makes sense, if that's in a nutshell. So. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, because it's very, very obvious that there was not just a lot of information just kind of shoved in here. It was just the, the way that it was put right. together and the way that you took everything into consideration and and just documented things just in, in such a way that uh, – you know, was going to be an easy read because it wasn't just like, you know, some type of, uh, you know, sound engineer diary. It was like actually had, you know, stories that are wrapped into each day and um, <clears throat> integrated with a lot of different things that, that um, from people that were actually there. And of course, that adds a it, lot it, of validity my, to it. My, my fear was putting this together was uh, making it seem like it was just a bunch of numbers. Like on this date, he did this on this date, he did this. but I didn't want to do that. And I, I realized that this is the journey from him being a cult favorite, you know, uh, 1999 had not hit yet. In fact, it was actually on its way down the charts when the book starts. And then it goes exactly two years from January 1st, 1983 to December 31st, 1984, which is the, hit of 1999, the recording of Purple Rain, the filming of the movie, um, the uh, just the premiere of the movie, and the tour, most half the tour. So it's him going from being a cult favorite to the biggest star on the planet, all within a two-year period. And it's the people that were there. I interviewed over 40 people that were engineers, band members, um, um, uh, people in the family, people in the Apollonia 6 and Vanity 6, people in uh, uh, the time, um, you know, just all the different people I could find. And then, like I said, the engineers, I think one of the things that is important about this kind of book is that it kind of shows people how busy he was. And I think the trick for me, I, I've read just about every Prince book and some of them are great. And some of them are, are, Not. you know, <laughs> regurgitations, regurgitations of other books. Right. Um, well, you know, this is the same story going to be told and then you've right. got to understand it's going to happen. But the, the, the issue I've noticed in a lot of books is they don't really cover the studio stuff. This is a guy that lived and breathed music. So to ignore where he spent 15, 16, 17 hours a day yeah. seems to be, you know, looking, you know, putting your head in the sand. Um, and I, I hope that, that people look at this, realize that the man had so much music coming out of him. You know, in the first few months of 1984, he recorded stuff for... Uh, some songs from Time uh, from Purple Rain, some songs for Ice Cream Castle, uh, the whole album basically for Apollonia Six, uh, Sheila's album, and the album for the uh, for the family, as well as songs for the Bangles and and other things like that. So and Jill Jones. So you look at that and you go, holy cow, that's that's within the first few months, and that doesn't include editing together Purple Rain, the premiere of Purple Rain, you know, uh, various concerts. In the in the two year period in the book, he's on stage a hundred times, and that's on top of two hundred twenty, two hundred thirty studio sessions, uh, and all this other stuff. There's just so much information, but it's not just. I'm hoping it's not just dry information. This is his story told through the filter of the studio sessions. Well, okay. So, little... so we have we. I know that Nikki has a bunch of questions and I have a bunch of questions and I know that technically I've, I've already asked, a, I've already asked a question, but I'm going to, I'm going to start off this process. I'm going to, so we'll make this the okay. official first question. I kind of wanted to get some of the, some of the base out of the way. And for those of you just joining us, we are joined by Dwayne Tudal, who is the author of Prince and the Purple Rain Era Studio Sessions, 1983 and 1984. It is, uh, 
an amazing tome on Prince. And just like you had said, uh, there are a lot of Prince books that are out there that that do regurgitate the same information. And I've had people say it to me all the time, why don't you write a Prince book? And it's like, because that's all I would be doing is regurgitating information that's already out there. And what... And what you, you guys have interviewed some big stuff. You guys have interviewed a lot of people. I mean, yeah. seriously, not to interrupt the commercial question, but you guys have been doing a lot of big interviews and, and those kind of things. I have to tell you, those kind of things are important for telling Prince's story because... It's important to go back since Prince can no longer answer questions, and he would, you know, he would be playing with the answers anyway. Um, he's a little bit of a prankster, a bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's important to have the people that were firsthand there telling the story of what it was like to be in the room when he's recording this stuff. And so, when you have Tony M and people like that on your show, that's you know, if if an author does not seek you guys out or at least listen to your things and then credit you for having done the research that's historically important, then they're kind of, you know, not telling the whole story to me. That's right. just me. Well, and, and I appreciate that because that means obviously you're listening and that's fantastic. We got quite a bit, but so let's start on the cover because on the cover you okay. have the very iconic picture of Prince, but transposed in the background is a studio session. Um, I guess a, the studio session documents that they pretty much just essentially documented what had happened yeah. on that day, which is where a lot of your information came from about yeah. who, who was behind, who was behind the board, who was recording, uh, who, who was right. producing it, et cetera, et cetera. My first question, and I'll start this off is I was okay. curious why you didn't choose to actually show some of those actual documents, kind of like what we're seeing transposed behind him in the actual book, like maybe like a page that actually showed the actual studio session document. Was it because it was, was, was it a, was it, was it going to end up making the book too big or was it some of it was illegible and wouldn't make any sense to people or what was the, the reasoning behind it? Um, do you have a hard copy with you? I do. Or not? I do. Yes. Okay. Uh, go to page 269. 269. All right. Yes, yes, yes. Yep, I see. Yeah, you kind of got Sorry. a lot of you got a lot of pictures in here. Yep, two sixty. Yeah. Yes. So some, yes, some, I do see some work yes. orders. Yes, I put some of the work orders in there. Um, I didn't put. Uh, I didn't want to do too many of them, but I did put a, a three, or three or four. And what I'll do is in future, if I do a paperback and whatnot, I'll probably put some different ones in there. But. Um, I think the work orders are fascinating stuff, but I, I didn't want to make it so that you're just looking at documents. Um, although people have told me they love looking at the documents, so I, I didn't, you know, I wasn't aware that they'd, they'd enjoy that as much as they have. Well, yeah. but I tried to put a few in there just to make sure that, that people could see what sort of thing was in there, uh, what kind of information is covered on the documents. And now in hindsight, now that you say that, and now in hindsight, now that you say that, I think, yeah, maybe every single day might have been <laughs> excessive. So it may have been excessive. Yeah, you're probably right on that. But uh, all yeah, right, Nikki. And, and, but I mean, I have to admit, one of the cool things for me is when I got the documents, because I went to Sunset Sound and talked to them and got the studio documents, um, because I'd been influenced by a book called The Beatles Recording Sessions. And that was a great book about the Beatles where they went through every day and they were at Abbey Road and the people from Abbey Road gave them access to all the stuff there. 
and it's a great book. It's a really fascinating book, and that kind of influenced me to want to do this book. Um, what was fun is looking at the documents thinking, wow, Prince signed this. Prince put his signature on here. Um, this was in the room when he was recording this. And as goofy as that sounds, there's something fascinating about that. And I tried to put the handwritten lyrics in there, but I couldn't get permission to do that. Because um, yeah. there are a lot of documents that have the handwritten lyrics out there. Um, but I just could not get permission to do that. So I thought, okay, well, this I do have permission to show. I will show that. And, um, yeah, that's kind of fun. The cover, can I tell you one thing about the cover real sure. quick? Is the artist is a guy named Rev. Uh, Rev has done a lot of, of Prince art out there, a lot of iconic things you'd see. He is so good. And I, 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 I am blown away by what he brought to this. Uh, the picture, the photograph is by, um, uh, uh, I'm trying to think how to explain this. The photograph itself is from the premiere of the, um, of the Pro Rain Tour by a guy named Neil Preston. Neil Preston is one of the most famous rock photographers out there. He did Led Zeppelin, Queen, album covers for a lot of different bands. He just came out with a book on his own. He's just one of these guys that is just, in rock photographer things, he's really known. I reached out to him and was able to get this shot. I saw this shot. I thought, that's a really cool shot. And, uh, and so I got that, and I gave this to Rev, um, and he came up with some of the things on there, and I said, why don't we put the work orders over it? And so he worked that in. And there's just, to me, I don't know how, if I do a sequel to this, how I'm going to top this cover, because I'm really, I love the cover. I, I just, every time I look at it, I think, Oh, there's so much, you know, just, it's fun seeing the work order. It's fun seeing Prince's signature. It's fun seeing a great photograph of Prince with his arm in the air, you know, just kind of standing in his power, you know. So I love this. Very awesome. It's awesome. I hope, it, I hope other people get the same feeling from it. I hope other people look at it and go, yeah, I got it. You know, because I, I, I don't want to sound, like, guys, I didn't have, I didn't design it. I didn't uh, create it. I just sat there and go, wow, artists that can do this kind of stuff blow me away when they can bring something to the table and you just go, I don't know how your brain thinks of this, but this is amazing. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's kind of how I felt about Prince as well in the sense that I look at what Prince did when it came to things and going, where on earth did that come from? How did you have to think to create that? You know, so that's where I am with that. So. Nikki, you're up. Yeah, I'm here, man. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm soaking it in. <laughs> it's your turn for a question. <laughs> okay, okay. I wanted to uh, mention, <clears throat> you're talking 1983 through 1984, and yes, you're talking 731 days. And out of that, 220 days in the studio, you're talking over over, over 220 days. Uh, I, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, you're talking, right, and you're yeah. talking roughly over 100 performances. Yes, plus rehearsal time. I mean, that is right. an incredible amount of uh, right. time to be recording. And can you imagine what's involved that we don't know about yet? That uh, is amazing. My my question to you is: When you went through all this, was it overwhelming to you? to sit there and say, okay, I'm going to write this book, and now you're going through all this information from, from Sunset Sound, and you're getting the logs and yeah. going through this. Was it like, would you have, I mean, I would have had an anxiety attack and said, okay, where do I begin? <laughs> it is overwhelming um, because, first off, you want it accurate. 
um, is nothing else. Well, two things. You want it accurate, you want it entertaining. I can make a long list of dates that are accurate and it would read like a phone book and that's, you know, you don't want that. So I wanted to make it so that there was something that people took away and said, wow, that's new insight. Because here's the other thing. You know this. Most Prince fans have read a couple books and are really knowledgeable about this stuff. The hardcores are. And so they're going to sit there saying, I know this story, know the story, I know how it ends. All right, yeah, that happened. Yeah, okay, that person passed out because of cold water. Okay, all right, this happened because of this. We all know these stories. And I didn't want to just do those stories. Um, and the engineers who are in the studio with him 15 hours a day have stories. They, they remember how they recorded When Doves Cry. They remembered how they recorded Pop Life. And they talked about that kind of stuff. And And... That is interesting because I went back and listened to the music after that. There's a um, oh, one song where he and Morris are playing on uh, drums. I think it's not just Tricky. It's the other one that uh, uh, Chlorine Bacon Skin. And his headphones, Morris' headphones fall off. And you hear that in the song. <clears throat> I didn't notice that until I heard Susan Rogers saying, yeah, his headphones fell off. And then he had put them back on. And you go back to the song and you listen to it. And you go, yep, oh, wow, that's crazy. I hear that now. And those kind of things to me are, are fascinating. Is it overwhelming? Yeah, yeah. You you, you want to make sure. Here's the other the, the thing: is not only are Prince fans familiar with the stories, they're familiar with the, with the information. If I'm wrong about something, drastically wrong about something, I'll be torn apart. And once somebody starts tearing the book apart, it, it is difficult to get the momentum back. You know, it's it's difficult to get it going again. And and uh, Luckily, people have been very embraced it, and I think that's really great. I think what happened was I wrote the kind of book I'm a fan, so I wrote the kind of book I wanted to read. <clears throat> and I think that people saw that and they thought, this is the book I want to read too. And that worked out well because I think having been a Prince fan and been on Prince Org for a dozen years and knowing these people and, and you know back in the day collecting with other people and knowing people from around the country and around the world that – we're fans as well. You kind of have a fan base of, of people that you're familiar with, and that really helps. And I bounce the ideas off of people. I have three or four or four people, uh, five now, of people that um, really kind of looked at my manuscript before it was ready. Uh, Thomas, Yost, uh, Scott, uh, Cam, and Craig, all guys that were really helpful. Some of them work for Prince Walt. Some of them work for Uptown. Some of them just happen to live in Minneapolis. And they all looked it over and said, wrong, wrong, correct. I didn't know that or whatever it is. And we kind of, they would help me, um, guide me when things, cause I don't, you know, I didn't know everything. I didn't, there's several solo songs I didn't know, um, by BB King or James Brown. And so they're like, well, this is what this is. And so they were really able to guide me. So I had a lot more confidence going into it, having had it already screened, through other people. And then Questlove read it. Questlove ended up doing the forward. And I don't know if you guys know who Questlove is. Absolutely. Yes. But he's, uh, okay, just making sure. Um, but he is, yeah, he's a drummer for the Roots and, and he's, you know, a huge Prince fan. So when he saw this, he was like, holy cow, this is amazing. And so he looked through it. He didn't give me notes or anything like that, but, you know, he saw it and was so excited that he wanted to, um, he wanted to do the forward for it. Um, so, but yeah, I was, I was overwhelmed and I'm overwhelmed right now because I'm thinking about, you know, a sequel 
And that's daunting because the other one took me 20 years and I don't want to take 20 years again. <laughs> we like don't that. want you to either. No, no, no. no. I, I, in fact, I had, I had dinner last night with my publisher um, and we talked about plans for um, going forward about what we want to do and, and we'll, we'll see where it goes. Cause there's a, you know, there's some things that might be happening. So it's kind of exciting. So, yeah. so I and guess. Actually, great. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, okay. I was going to say the reaction has been great, so it makes me feel like I, I at least I was on the right path. You know? Which is amazing. Yeah. I, mean, I have to tell I, you, I when, when I sat and read this book, I, I was excited. I mean, like I said, I was explaining as soon as I saw the quote from, from Alan Leeds, if, if he's praising this book, it had to be everything that he said it was. And then when reading the book and going through everything, uh, it's remarkable in, from page one all the way to the end. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you, can you, can you kind of give us more of a, a, a background? Um, the, the very first time you, you met Pernilson and, and how you kind of connected with him and, and what was the songs that the two of you would talk about and discuss in great detail that led the two of you to, to a working relationship and further on down the road. Uh, you asked, uh, it was a glitch. You asked about Pierre Nelson? You know, Pierre Nelson, you right. Him? Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah um, the, the crazy thing is, I've been working with Pierre for 25 years. The funny thing is, I've never met him. Quarter of a century. You never, never, okay. met him. never met him. But we have been friends for uh, years, and he's kind of gone, in, I don't want to say into hiding, but I still talk to him. Uh, at least, you know. Uh, periodically on, on uh, email and uh, probably every few weeks. He just got the book recently and was blown away by it. So that was, you know, he, he'd seen early drafts of it and everything like that. So that's why there's quotes and stuff like this. But he uh, just recently got it and was just, you know, um, very complimentary. And, and to have that from him, you know, he's, he's like, to most of us, he's like the king. You know, we, we, you know, when it comes to the knowledge and stuff like that, he just seems to know all this stuff, and, and we all like his books. So um, that was, you know, ha- having him uh, be so, you know, excited about that made me very happy. But we used to talk about all this stuff. I mean, it was, there were always the plans when we were working on The Vault and working on DMSR. Um, it was always trying to figure out how we can get this information out there. A lot of the information in the vault and DMSR about studio stuff was from me and the interviews I did and um, the studio sessions I got, the uh, documents I got from Sunset Sound and other studios as well. We've got you know other ones as well, but um, it uh, we talked about you know we we thought we realized there's no way to do this. There's no way to actually do this. And this part in the in the vault in the book is only about 12 pages long, and you know the book is 500 pages long. So I kind of opened it up a little bit, I guess you could, you know, um, that's, but that's the relationship I've had with him. And then we're still friends to this day and, and just, we're hoping to meet next year. But the fact that we've been working together since the early nineties and have never actually met and only talked on the phone, I think once or twice is crazy. You know, when you, when you realize that you've been working on it. Um, so, yeah. Um, I'm looking at the email he wrote. He said, uh, I received the book. Many thanks. It really is wonderful. Um, he had a lot of had a lot of pleasure reading about the various tracks while listening to them. Um, 
So he was just, yeah, he seemed very happy with what he got. Um, and I would like to work with him more and stuff in the future. He's just not working on anything about Prince right now. So I would Did love to. Did you tell you why? Right. Um, I think it came to a point when in the nineties, when, uh, we had trouble with Uptown and Prince sued Uptown and there was that and magazines don't sell that well and you don't make a big living off of it and a lot of work for a little money. Um, and, uh, he had other interests. He wrote a book about, uh, I think, uh, Iggy pop, I think it was Iggy pop or David boy, forget which one it was. Um, but he's, he's very well known for that stuff. And I think he just, thought, you know what, this isn't really speaking to me as much anymore and kind of moved on. But he still he just still does listen to Prince and he still does uh, uh pay attention and, and and you know keeps an ear so out. So he passed the baton to you. Which is a great thing. Uh, yeah, I, I I guess so. I hadn't thought about it like that, but I I'm happy to give the baton back to him if he wants it. I'm he's he's not only a great guy. And and the other thing is in this book, he uh reached out to me and said, Look, I've got all these interviews that you and and um uh, Alan Freed uh, did for Uptown and for his books. Do he said do you want the copies of the of the tapes of interviews? And I was like, yeah. So I got about seventy five hours of interviews from him that we'd all done from the nineties and early two thousands of people like Jelly Bean Johnson and um, Alan Leeds and Eric Leeds and and you all these different people. So I was able to use those for the book. And then I reached out to Jelly Bean and I reached out to each one of those people and asked, do you think, is it okay if I use your interview? Cause this is, you know, an interview they did for somebody else. They don't know me. And all of them said yes. Um, for the most part, all of them said yes. And then I used their interviews in the book. And, um, but so Pierre Nelson was, was not only helpful with the idea that it can be done, but then really helpful when it came to getting stuff to me for the book. So I, I have nothing but extreme praise for that man. Was there any? And also, oh, the other, the Alan Freed was the, Alan Freed was the other person that interviewed a lot of people, and he's a great guy and a friend of mine, and he gave me access to his interviews as well. So on top of the forty plus interviews I did, I had another seventy five to one hundred hours of interviews from those guys as well. So yeah, me. When you were making this book, was there any bumps in the road that you hit when you were trying to create this and? Um, or was it a smooth ride for most part? Uh, it was bumpy um, because you you don't know whether Prince Prince was litigious. Um, that and so yeah, I didn't want to reach out to him because I didn't want to be sued or I didn't want to have him put the kibosh on the whole thing. And also, people around Prince didn't talk much, so it was a, a matter of gaining everybody's trust. And I think once they saw what I was doing, they they realized, oh, this is a historical document. Um, and then I would travel to Boston and 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 you know, visit with uh, Susan Rogers or I'd have other people, uh, Brenda Bennett over to the house here in Los Angeles or, you know, go out to lunch with somebody else. And then just, it became, it grew. And then I ended up getting, a, um, uh, back in 2003 was a, an event called the family jam show. And that was a Sheila concert that had the revolution and the family and Madhouse and stuff like this. And I was friends with Apollonia and she got me the gig uh, videotaping the, the concert of the director. I'm a director and producer. So she got me a gig directing the concert video for that, which never came out, but I was there for all the rehearsals and stuff like this. So I'm indebted to her as well. Cause she, you know, it was incredibly cool for her to say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working on this thing. Would you like to come, 
come here and film this? I'm like, yeah, I, I would. And so I ended up meeting a lot of more people like that. So it just kind of grew and grew and grew and grew. Um, but the bumps in the road, the biggest bump in the road was Prince passing. That made me feel like almost not coming out with a book because you want to honor the guy. And I think it does, but it just, you, you don't want to seem like the guy that's got a book that next day, you know? And, and that was tricky for me because, um, I had the other thing I had to go through the book and, and change all the tense of everything from Prince is the most innovative to Prince was the most innovative. And that, that was painful. Um, you know, having to go through 500 pages of carefully crafted words and, and change every tense to a past tense when you realize that he's not coming back. And that, that was, that was, that hurt. So, yeah. Yeah. I would, Chris, you're yeah, I would, I would think that, um, <laughs> you know, one of the things that, um, obviously, you know, I think you made a wise decision on, on, on holding out because Chris, I know, Chris, Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm here. here. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my friend. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> I, yeah, well, sorry, I was just one question related to another thing. So no, it's per- answer, no, it, no, it's perfectly okay. I actually had uh, muted the the phone because I didn't want to cough on air and interrupt Dwayne. So. Oh, <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> um, so here is so. I think you obviously made, you know, the, the right decision, you know, holding out because I think a lot of people did kind of see some, I mean, I know the revolution experienced quite a bit of that uh, when they decided that they were going to tour so close to his passing um, that they did catch a lot of flack was like, Oh, well, are you doing this because you're wanting to cash in or you, you know, what, what was the reasoning? And that wasn't the reasoning for it. Um, they just kind of oh. felt, they, they just kind of felt like they were going, they, they were probably the best deliverers of healing that people could have possibly yeah. had. Yeah. Here's the, and, and let me, let me, uh, sorry to interrupt the question, but I felt really bad for them because these are the people that stood on stage with him and these are the people that loved him and knew him better than any of us could. Right. The idea that what they wanted at that moment was to be around other people that were mourning makes total sense to me absolute sense they deserve to be around people that want to share their tears share their joy and share the experience because these are the people that that made them famous the people that love them and that they love it only makes sense when you when you're friends pass away you want to be at a funeral you want to be at a wake you want to be a, I I we used to go to Irish wakes when different friends would die and, and there would be a big party and a big gathering at a bar and you celebrate the life of somebody and what they were doing by gathering together was giving us all a way to commiserate together. And I was so grateful that the revolution was out there. I'm grateful that F deluxe is out there. That NPG is out there. I would love to see Madhouse get out there. I, I any time that I can see the bands that were doing this stuff, doing it honors him and what everybody's job now is to extend his legacy. And if the revolution is out there playing, they're extending his legacy and it's vital that they're out there because without them as the, um, liaisons to that, I think we're going to miss something. And you, and the good thing here's the other thing that's great about them being out there is they interview, 
and they talk about this stuff. They're in, you know, they go to Atlanta and somebody talks for the media, each city. And again, their stories bring him back and, and remind us of the amazing skills of this guy. So I completely honor them. Some people got upset about the timing. Okay. That's, that's semantics, you know, but it, to me, I am so glad they got together. I'm so glad they, and I'm so glad all of them got together. You know, that each one, that there wasn't one that said, oh, I'm not going to do it. No, they all as collective unit family said, we are going to get together. We're going to honor this and we are going to sing this tribute to this person. That to me is amazing. And I'm grateful. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. Yeah, I would have to agree that, you know, that they, a lot of people have caught a lot of flack. I mean, you know, and, and it's just for me, I'm the same way. I don't, I don't think that you can ever, there's really not much that anybody can do as far as if you can come out on stage and you can deliver something that is, that is going to exact, like you said, prolong his legacy and, and just kind of keep his memory going. I, I, <laughs> I certainly have no problem with it, and I know there's lots of people that that do. And hey, if if you do, then then don't go. But you know, don't go to the show. Don't go to the show. But don't tell me. Don't right. tell me they shouldn't do the show. Right. Exactly. I, I, I'm just like, if you don't want to go, don't. That means my seat's closer. That's great. <laughs> right. You know, one, <laughs> so, one less ticket. I have to worry about not being sold. Right. Yeah, one less ticket. I have a, one less guy with a hat sitting in front of me. You know, so I'm I'm. I'm happy with that. Yeah. Trust me, they'll get enough people going because I went to see him at the, I've seen him twice on this tour so far and, and hope to see him again. Um, I saw him at the, uh, 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 Wiltern and I also saw them at uh, an outdoor show here in Los Angeles. And it was both times. It's a lot of fun. Just, you know, hearing this music again. Yeah. You know what? You miss Prince and you realize what he added to this and you realize, okay, it's never going to be the same without Prince period. We all know that, but they're not trying to bring somebody out that's a, a look-alike or a, a you know whatever. They're not trying to do that. What they're doing is these are the songs we had something to do with. These are the songs we played with the man, and we're going to play them for you. And and it's going to bring back memories, and you're going to be happy, and or sad, and it's going to bond us. And and right now, Prince fans are very bonded in the sense that we all miss him. We all are sad. We all know that there's no next Prince. We all want the music from the vault. We all want videos of him floating around. We all want, you know, we all collectively want to extend his legacy and we're willing to do the work, you know, to coin a phrase. We're all willing to do the heavy lifting on this. And, and um, you know, I know every year they do the celebration up in Minneapolis, but I can tell you honestly, I don't need a day to celebrate. I celebrate it every day. Absolutely. You know, I'm yep. out there. I'm out there celebrating. You see me in my car at a stoplight, odds are I'm playing Prince. You know, <laughs> so that's that's just the way it is. And if you hear a heavy bass or something like that, you know I got something, I got Erotic City going or something like that. So, you know, I'm I'm just, that's just how I celebrate. And, and I will keep him alive as all, as much as I can. I've got an eight-year-old daughter and I've got her already listening to some of the stuff. Some of the stuff. Not everything. <laughs> <laughs> there are songs an eight-year-old shouldn't be hearing. Absolutely. But uh, you know, but she, but she dances with me to the songs, and you know, it's just you. You want to make sure that the next generation understands how important he was and how vital he was, because honestly, they don't know. People at a certain age know of Prince as 
some creative guy who did a movie 30 years ago and then died of an overdose. And they're like, going, okay, I think I know a couple songs. I'm like, what, what, what do you mean? You know, a couple songs, you know, and, and, and it, to us, it's alien. You know, it's like, wait, no, I can name every song in his, you know, or every album in order, <laughs> you know, or, or uh, you know, I'm one of those fans that can look at a picture and say, oh, that's from the Love Sexy era. Look at his hair. And look, he's wearing polka dots. It must be Love Sexy. You know, <laughs> they look at us like we're aliens. But our job is to infect that generation with the same uh, craving we have for it. So, you know, I'm happy to do that. Oh yeah, so, I feel so the same way. No, no, no yeah, it's, it's, it's fine. No, it's perfectly fine. That. That's why you're here, is because we want to, we want to hear all these things. And um, so, so one of the things that I just it's just fascinating to me about the book is every time that I would turn, you know, it's never failed. You know, every three pages, I'm learning something. Just like you had mentioned, there's tons <laughs> of books out there that regurgitate a lot of information, like things like uh, Purple Rain used to be called dreams the before the movie was called purple rain it was going to be called dreams and that i mean and little things like that or that jill jones came into the studio and read the act two scene two of romeo and juliet and they played it back yeah and they played it backwards for texture uh on i guess it was modern air i think it was or that michael jackson and prince used to play ping pong together at sunset studios and it's like why things like that you there's fun (laughs) things like that there's 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 stories that this i i I just love some of the things i'm and i get i geek out with you when when these when i hear these things i would run out and tell my wife and she just nod her head like that's nice hon that's nice (laughs) (laughs) so what was the first thing so here's the question so here's the question what What was the first thing as you're kind of going through through this this discovery, what is the first thing that you that you read or that you find out and you go, what what now? Holy crap! That can't be real. What was the first thing that was just like a shocker to you in the writing of this book? Wow, uh, wow! I'd have to think about that one. First thing, I mean, the amount of work he did was really the first thing that blew me away because when. I wish I could show you the amount of work orders for this period is just, it's a, it, you guys don't get the video portion of what I'm doing right now. Do you? Um, <laughs> it, it's, 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 it's pretty thick. And, and when I look at them thinking, I gotta, I gotta write about that whole thing. And, and that was, you know, seeing, and then seeing the hours that the guy would put in and just, you know, knowing that, you know, and, and like there's months like September of 83 that he's just in the studio almost the entire month. I mean, every day and uh, things like that. Um, I'd have to think about what the, the first thing that shocked me or first thing that was surprising. I honestly don't know. I mean, I really, I, I think that uh, some of it would be that certain songs ended up starting much earlier than when they were released. She's Always in My Hair is from 1983. And I was like, oh, I didn't expect that. You know, that's a, that's was released in 85. Um, things like that are a little bit surprising. Um, I am also was also surprised at how much he did by himself. But also, this is the other thing. I think I want to make sure that the people who were there doing work are recognized. Wendy and Lisa were really vital to what he was doing in the studio. And even more so in 85, 86. But 83, 84, they were pretty important to what he was doing. And I think that sometimes they get overlooked because people think Prince did everything. And he did do everything, but it and well. 
but he did bounce ideas off of people. And Wendy and Lisa brought him ideas that he might not have conceived of himself. And I think that that's, um, that was important. Uh, I got to interview Peggy McCreary, Peggy Mack from all this stuff and, and the stories she would tell and the things that, you know, just how they never, she never knew when they were recording to the next thing, you know, all of a sudden it'd be like fresh tape and he'd be doing his time song and then he'd do an Apollonia six song or whatever. Like I said, the amount of stuff the guy did that never made it out is just mind boggling when you start seeing lists and lists and lists of songs. And you know, that's the biggest shock to me. Yeah. How prolific the guy was. Oh yeah. Extremely prolific. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you were talking about, um, oh, I'm sorry. My, my apologies. No, 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 no. I, I was just filling time. You, you talk. Oh, no, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about, she's always in my hair. And, uh, yeah. the idea was that, uh, the, the, the song supposedly from what we understand is it's written in context. So with Jill Jones, I, I would imagine. Um, yes. Can you give a little more light into that? Yeah. Um, well, here's the thing with, with every song. And one of the, things I wanted to do with the book was I wanted to make sure that not only did I tell the who, what, and when, but the why, um, because the who, what, and when is in the documents and that's dry after a while. You're like, okay, on May 5th and this year he did this. Okay. That's interesting. But why did he do this? What was the thing that, that, you know, went through his head? And that was the fascinating thing to me. She's always in my hair was about, well, partially at least, was about a fight he was having with Jill. And Jill was staying at his place, and I think they may have lived together during this period. And uh, she made a mess, and this is the story she told me. Um, she made a mess, and he was like, what the? You know, and, and, and they fought, and he went and wrote the song. And then he went back to her and played it and said, here you go, and, and she listened to it, and, and she got mad at him. Because he said, um, in the song, he says, maybe I'll marry her, maybe I won't. And she's like, wait. The woman always makes up the mind about who marries who, but not you. He's like, but, 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 and she was like, you know, get, get the tape out of my face. She was just mad at him. And I just, I picture that conversation, and, you know, he's all excited going back and saying, look what I did. Uh, my apologies. Oh, that's not an apology. You know, and, and that's fascinating to me is finding out that kind of stuff. And the, the, the song itself is, um, the cool thing about the song, She's Always in My Hair, is the riff comes from Sex Shooter. Right. Uh, ba, that ba, is in ba, there. And, 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 <laughs> yeah. It's right. And, and to me, that's part of the fun of, of hearing this kind of stuff and realizing um, that he will cannibalize his own stuff because he's always looking for inspiration. you got to imagine this guy's recording constantly he has to keep feeding the machine. And if he's going to be recording, you know, all the time, he's going to start ripping himself off on occasion. Not, not necessarily a bad way, but in a way that, you know, it's like you can start to see the connections. Like he will have, um, lyrics from in, in, uh, erotic city that were from sex shooter or something like that, you know, um, uh, that or from from uh, week and week and funk, you know things like that. He'll he'll pull things from these different things because he's just listened to it. He's influenced by it, uh, or anything like that. He's always looking for that. Was always looking for that inspiration. Whether it's him walking across the floor and his shoes making noise, or somebody telling him a joke, 
and he puts the punchline in the song or uh, a catchy phrase, you know, that kind of stuff was fascinating to me is, is how much the guy was always having to take in stuff so that he could make, so he could exhale um, music. And that, that's a pretty important thing when it comes to this guy. And nonstop, like I said, over that was a, she was always in my hair as and over the Christmas break of '83, and you're like, God, dude, do you ever, do you ever relax? <laughs> and that's why people like Jill say that you know he's married to his music. You know, this is a guy that that you're not going to take him to a barbecue. You know, he's not the kind of guy that's going to be going to places with. He's he's dedicated to his music, and even at the peak of his career. At the very peak of Purple Rain's popularity, he's still recording. Now, most celebrities would say, I'm going to take a week or two off and just enjoy it. And I did not see that in this. And, and even in the next book, if I get to write it, there is parts where he went traveling. And he's like, after two or three days, going, yep, done. <laughs> I want to get back to my music. That's how committed this guy was, you know, playing 12 hours a day. You know, and, and, and wanting to play more. That's 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 why he was so good. You know, he didn't just show up and do his thing. He was there when they were setting up when they were touring, he'd be setting up they'd be setting up the to play and rehearse and sound check while they're setting up the lights and everything like that. You know? That's that's a dedication to music that you don't see out there much. And that's why I think most of us look at him and most musicians look at him and think yeah, you're you're so far above anybody. Period. That's you know, my thought on that. It's amazing. You were talking about this song, and um, Chris brought up Modern Air, and talking about uh, that particular track. Could you fill us in the, the, the listeners a little bit on that one, since Chris brought it up? Uh, give us a little background. Um, well, uh, Modern Air was. Film. Yeah, Modern Air was originally um, uh, it he. Des had left. Des was touring with with Prince and had left at the end of the uh, of the 1999 tour, and um, he made an agreement with Prince that Prince would do some songs with him, and uh, he released an album. Not necessarily his own album. I think he went to another label. I don't know, did he go to Warner Brothers? I don't remember what label he was on, but um, he, Prince would add some stuff to it. And and Modern Air was one of the few tracks that he actually did um and modern air was was a um a phrase they used to explain somebody who was ahead of the curve somebody who uh was um very contemporary you know uh, but beyond contemporary very edgy and uh so they recorded the track and uh des was in basically one scene in the movie where he's playing the the music um, in one scene where he was, he was originally supposed to have been in the movie. Their first draft of the script had him in the, in the uh, movie a lot more. Um, but he was on the way out by his own choice. Uh, he wasn't fired. He was on his own choice. And Wendy was on her way in. So Prince said, here, I got this song. And uh, let's see the other song he gave to him. Trying to think at the moment. Uh, the other song he gave to him was "Promise to Be True," um, which was a song that he had done with um, Vanity Six, um, and the song is about um, a guy who's fooling around on his girlfriend, and, and but he's apologizing. I promise to be true next time. I'll, I won't do this again, um, and yet he keeps doing it. 
Uh, and the song eventually was that, just to tell you a little more about Promise to be True, which has never come out, he eventually, Prince gave that to Bonnie Raitt in 87 to record. Um, and they changed the lyrics a little bit to make it so that um, Bonnie Raitt was, you know, singing the, the female part saying, you know, you better promise to be true if I'm going to give you another chance. And, you know, basically calling the guy a dog, you know. And so it was a song that Prince kept trying to get to different places, whether it's Vanity, uh, Dez, uh, Bonnie Raitt and I think probably somebody else and it never came out so I actually wished Modern Air would have officially come out I know Dez came out with it on his album but it just seemed like that would have, should have been a song that uh, that came out on something you know well uh, if well, they'd done a you know they wish they had but yeah, it's a good song. Well, we can actually take we can actually take a few minute break and actually play that song. But before but before Fantastic. we do that, but before we do that, <laughs> I have to say this because this is really kind of funny. And then we'll, we'll act, and then we'll play Modern Air for those of you who don't remember the song or are trying to remember it from the movie, because it wasn't even though it was released, it wasn't really widely available and really didn't get any marketing because by the time right. that it actually officially got released. It was a pretty much a forgotten thing, but the one story that you tell in your book that makes me laugh every time I see it now was when Des Dickerson is has got the revolution, you know, has got them all in a room. It's like, okay, here, so here's what we're gonna do when Prince gets here. Oh, oh, when Prince gets here, we're going to uh, we're gonna kind of say, you know, hey, you know, you're kind of being real heavy handed with all these really deep sexual songs, and you know, we really kind of need to, you know, pull back a little bit. And uh, I'll let you finish the story as far as the punchline is oh, yeah, concerned. He, 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 <laughs> But Des, is, Des had taken everybody aside and said, look, you know, Des was going through a religious, and he's talked about this many times, he was going through a religious uh, period where he was discovering the Lord and, and felt very, uh, he was just mouthing the lyrics, not actually singing. Well, they went back to their hometown, and there were certain things he was like, you know what, I prefer we just not sing this. And he talked to everybody in the band, and they're like, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. So he said, okay, we're going to talk to Prince at this rehearsal. So he gets up there and says, you know, Prince, I was thinking, you know, uh, maybe we just not do some of these racier songs for a little bit. And, you know, everybody had agreed that that was the case. And Prince looked at everybody and says, do you all agree? And everybody's like, well, it's your band, Prince. You know, you don't have to do that. And like, Wait, what? <laughs> and and I think I think Matt told the story where Matt says, yeah, he chased me around with a chair. <laughs> <laughs> it was so bad. It was like, you had my back. Where were you? Oh, my God. Yeah, exactly. We're brothers. What are you doing? And I just think that's the idea of this, you know. This, yeah, but, you know, it, it, it's got to be tough to stand up to Prince because it's his band. It is his band at the end of the day. Uh, so that was, I think, that the, the idea that, that uh, you know, Des was so mad at, at Fink and stuff like that. You know, I mean, obviously, I kept getting along after that, but I still thought that was, you know, the idea of <laughs> not not backing up your friend on that one. So, all right, you know. so let's let's play Modern Air here and take a take a little few minute break. Let you guys get a drink of water, and uh, we're going to continue. And the reason why we're doing these little breaks normally we don't is because we we have uh, you can't see the video, but we have Dwayne. Uh, roped to a chair with handcuffs and he can't go anywhere. True. So uh, until we decide to let him go, he's got to stay. So for right now, we'll we'll give him a little bit of drink of water and stop waterboarding him and uh, play a little bit of modern air right here on Funked Up. (laughs) Call the authorities. Call the authorities. (laughs) Hang tight. Here's modern air for you Funkatopians.
That was Des Dickerson's Modern Air. And for those of you just joining us, we have on the phone Mr. Dwayne Tudal, author of this amazing, amazing tome, Prince and the Purple Rain Era Studio Sessions 1983 and 1984. And we've kind of been talking a little bit about a lot of the different things that uh, there's so much information that is in this book. And I'm just blown away by how many things and stories and and tidbits that you managed to find that I'd never heard before. Um, but one of the things that I found interesting, and I, you know, I start to pay attention to some of these details, um, is wraps around, surrounds the song, Baby I'm a Star. And right. why do you think, well, there's two things with this. First off, you have listed on there that um, on that particular day, with I guess this kind of started back in uh, September of 1983, around that time, that there was a 24-track MM1200 that they kept being billed for, and they and and what I saw was is that they were continually billed for this soundboard for for like an entire month. So I guess my first question was, was this board like a rental or why was it continually showing up on the, yeah, on the um, records? Uh, the reason why uh, they're doing that is, is during that time, he was recording on 24-track. And just to, for the record, he actually had done the song earlier. The, the, what he was working on in September of 83 was the stuff he'd recorded at the benefit show uh, in August, of, or August 3rd, 83, um, uh, the basic tracks for a lot of these songs. So he was working on that stuff in the studio in 83, in September 83. But what he was doing was he normally recorded in 24 tracks. Um, he had started recording uh, uh, 24 tracks at Sunset Sound, uh, and he ran out of space. He's like, you know what, I want to put more on here. I need more. 
uh, real estate. And so they, they got another 24-track machine and synced them up. So there was 48 tracks playing all at once. And so that he'd have an extra 24 tracks to play with. And so that's where you get Computer Blue. And that's where you get things like that with layered things that he had, had, had not tried before. Um, that You know, the 12, 13, 14-minute version of Computer Blue. All this stuff was because he was adding strings and adding sound effects and adding layers of things in stereo. And um, it... it uh, became overwhelming so they had to have extra tracks so when they're renting the extra equipment it's because they had um a reason to have both things the other thing is you never know on him <clears throat> when he might have a whim and just say you know what i want to start working back on purple rain or i want to start working on another song that that had this or i'm i've gotten to the point where i have no more tracks on here peggy his, his engineer give me another you know 24 tracks so they were ready for that all through september of 83 where they were wrapping up those songs. That's where that came from. Well, it, and the reason why I bring and up Baby Here's the other thing. With, sorry, one, one last thing is he was working on those things nonstop. I mean, they were the live versions, but he was adding overdubs and adding extra things in there and, and cleaning things up and editing it. He just was working on those night and day um, to make them what we know. And, and uh, that's his dedication. Not a perfectionist, but just knowing that he could do things a certain way that he wanted it done. You know, yeah, I don't necessarily know. That, yeah, because you, you said that he wasn't a perfectionist, but he did spend so much time. And you even quote him in the book as saying, my mixes are terrible, which is just insane because a lot of people, I mean, he was doing techniques uh, like, I can't remember, I think it was Don uh, had mentioned that he would take tape and put it overneath, uh, over the meters so that he couldn't see if something was pegging red so that he, because right. he, he was like, if it sounds good, it sounds good. I, I don't, I don't want to know what this thing is telling me. And I just, and, 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 and that's, that's uh, true because uh, people say, you know, was he a perfectionist? And he wasn't necessarily a perfectionist in the sense that, you know, yeah, he didn't want to have a thing as a, a perfect way he would do it, but it was more about a groove and more about his, if he could feel it. And if he felt it and felt it a good groove, he wasn't as concerned with equalization or things like that. And if it sounded odd, he would tell people, well, you know, that's the way it's supposed to be and would move on from that. Uh, so, yeah, he was very meticulous about making sure the groove felt right. But you really don't look to his music to find perfectly, uh, I would say engineered, but perfectly perfect sounding, crisp, clean things like you would sound on, on a Pink Floyd album or, or something like that where you could hear, you know, just the tiniest of detail. His was more of, He's going to steamroll through it. And also the other thing is if he's recording sometimes two or three songs in a day, you're not going to spend time making it tweaking perfect. You know, you're going to spend time making the groove there and then mix it and make the groove the way you want it. Um, so, yeah, he wasn't a perfectionist in that way. That said, he did want things the way he wanted them. Gotcha. So, if that makes sense. Well, one of the things that I had seen um, is – you know, we had, I guess I was a little bit surprised to read that Morse Day had pretty much decided that he was going to leave the time right before Purple Rain was being released. And there, I know there was a lot of, with a lot of tension with, you know, the whole story with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis and him letting them go. And, 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 and there was this, this dynamic uh, that was going on with the time, especially with Morris, who really was taking this stuff 
you know, really hard and, and saying things to the band like, you know, uh, we need to kind of fix that part. You know, the, the guy that's taking Monty's spot, you know, can you fix that? Right. You know, he would never call them by name. Right. And, and so right. I, do you know, can you, I, I think they did, a, he must've done <laughs> acting classes in his, in his day, because I don't think that anybody from the outside, because I was a teenager at the time when Purple Rain came out, and I didn't notice any of those dynamics because, you know, you saw the movie and the time was this badass band and they were fantastic and they were doing so fantastically well. And even shortly after they were kind of, you know, playing some shows here and there and you'd see them pop up here and there. And it was like, how... That dynamic that was happening with Morris and the time and Prince just really intrigues me. And can you kind of expound on exactly, you know, I don't, I don't know what to talk about now as far as are things better between him and Peterson now or anything like that. But can you expound a little bit about, about some of that dynamic? Because it doesn't seem like Prince is like all this stuff is going on and there's no mention of Prince even acknowledging that there's trouble in paradise. Um, the, the situation with that is, uh, Prince kept everybody on a really short leash and didn't pay people a lot and didn't acknowledge their contributions. And, you know, he would write most of the stuff and Des wrote, I think, cool with Prince and, you know, some other things, but most of the, they didn't have, they weren't involved with a lot of the stuff and there was a resentment and they also needed money. Um, and so Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis would do stuff and other people would do stuff. And then they left, and that's covered in the book. But once they left, Morris was basically felt like he was done with the band. And the interesting thing to me is a lot of people didn't quite recognize that Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis were gone. You know, I mean, I, I wasn't a fan enough of the time at the time to know that they had been replaced. It didn't. It, yeah, I mean, I should have noticed. It was, you know, a couple of people. That was a lot of people. That was a lot but, of people. Yep. But, 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 but it didn't. It didn't. Because it was Morris and Jesse. If Morris and Jesse are there, you assume the rest of the band is, is still kind of the same, and they, they seem to have that dynamic. But Morris supposedly had just basically said, you know what, I don't care about this band, I, I'm, I'm, and, and was not happy with them. And, and, um, but that said, he still got together with Prince, and they recorded the rest of the Ice Cream Castle album together, and got along well. You can hear them getting along on like Tricky and stuff like that. They were they were getting along, but then it came to a point where Prince was like, "Okay, what are we going to do?" Morris left, was not around, and Prince reached out to Morris and said, "What's going to happen?" And he sent Steve Farnoli, his agent, his manager, over, and said, "Look, we'd like to have you aboard, Morris. Um, you can do it with the time, or you can do it without the time. It doesn't matter. But Prince will be the executive producer on your album." And Morris is like, I know what that means. I, I don't want to have that anymore. And he said, I'm done. And that was that. And um, the time was, they thought about what to do with the time because there was talk about the time doing um, some work with Jesse Johnson being the lead singer, the front man. And that didn't go very far. And, and um, without Morris, the band wasn't there because Morris is the face of the time. And so they all moved on and, and people were taken from the time and moved into the family, the new band he made that would replace the time. So there was a, uh, the other thing was a, a huge dynamic between Morris and Prince. They'd been friends since childhood, like a lot of these guys were. 
And so they had a lot of history, good and bad. And um, Morris relied on Prince and Prince relied on Morris. You know, the, to me, a funny story uh, is when Prince wanted to play uh, When Doves Cry for um, Morris. And he played When Doves Cry and Morris didn't like it. And Morris got out of the car, slammed the door and said, next time, play me something funky. And then, you know, you look back and you think, wow, that was When Doves Cry, because When Doves Cry is one of Prince's greatest songs. But uh, he would actually, you know, seek out opinions from Morris. And, and Morris, the other thing Morris brought to the table that I think is not really known or not really talked about as much is he and Prince would jam. And Morris would go on drums and Prince would get on keyboards or bass or guitar, and they would just look for a groove. And just find a groove, and and Prince would jam with people looking, and you had to be an exclusive club to jam with him, looking for those kind of things, and and for um, those two to get together doing that stuff, you can only imagine what it must have been like being in the room with him. But you can hear what it was like when you hear Tricky, or you hear like we talked about um, Chloe and Bacon Skin. You can hear what they would do in the studio with the two of them goofing off. They just really liked each other. And respected each other, but Prince Morris was just tired of it. He said, "I know I'm not going to deal with this anymore. This is you. I owe you money because of the tour. When do I? When are we? When am I paid off?" And so he had quit by the time the movie Purple Rain came out. But they didn't publicize that because you know they didn't have to. I mean, they'd already had two or three songs now in the can. It's a six-song album they did, and three of them had music videos. You know, the, to most people, it looked like the band was still around. You know, and and uh, yep. he wasn't even invited to the um, to the premiere of, of, of Purple Rain. What? I and didn't hear that the, part. You know that? <laughs> or did I yeah, miss that? Morris wasn't. Even, I missed that. Yeah, Morris wasn't even invited to the premiere. So that kind of stuff. You know, just that, that's crazy. This is the co-star, but they they they'd fallen out by that point. Yeah, nuts. When you think about that stuff. Of course he should be there. He's the he's the you know, he's one of the three leads. But he wasn't even invited. Yeah. It's crazy. The uh, it's amazing all this information that you're giving to us. Thank you so much. Um I wanted to touch base on another area here. Um, I know that the Prince and the Revolution they had done a concert. Uh it was for the Minneapolis Dance Theater, uh, back at First Avenue on August third, nineteen eighty three. Sure. And uh, there was this concert, and they needed to raise money for the dance theater. It was total. I think they actually raised twenty three thousand dollars, from what I understand. Mm -hmm. um, they did. There was all these different songs that were performed. Uh, Let you get the cause performed during that show. A case of you by Joni sure. Mitchell. Um, then Prince tried out for the very first time. Purple Rain. I will die for you, baby. I'm a star. Computer Blue. Um, and in the book, it ex you know it expresses that Prince used. Uh, the basic tracks of Purple Rain, and of course, I'll die for you, and maybe I'm a star uh, for the album, and then doing some extra overdub work. Can you give a little bit more information on um, the uh, the history of this? Well, um, the the benefit show was was kind of thrown together for a couple reasons. One was to for the benefit, um, you know, for the dance theater. Uh, second one was to kind of see how this stuff went over live. By this point, when they did this, the movie had not been funded yet. 
it could easily have dropped out. They, they didn't start filming the movie until November or the last day of October and the first days of November of that year. And this happened in August. So they did not have full funding yet for the, um, for the movie. So Albert Magnoli, who was the director and writer, uh, and um, Prince and everybody, they decided to do a show with Prince and the band performing. It would be Wendy's first concert. Right, Wendy's um, first appearance in the band, correct. Right. Right, Wendy's first appearance with the band, and Dez is the first time Dez is not playing with the band. Actually, technically, it's the second time Dez is not appearing with the band because they played a show that summer without Wendy. Um, but Dez was the first big show that that Dez was not there, and so they wanted to see how this music went. And if you look at the lineup of the songs that they played um, for that show, they basically are in the same order of. Um, that the uh, they were in the movie, um, they That's were crazy. You know, yeah, exactly. They they kind of go in that order that uh, they did in in the you know Let's Go Crazy. Um, let's see, uh, Computer Blue, and the ones that were recorded. Then you know, uh, uh, I Would Die for You, Baby, I'm a Star, and Purple Rain. Basically, that's the same order they were in in on the album with the additional songs that they recorded later, and for the most part in the movie as well, except for the fact that Purple Rain was not the last song in the movie. So it was kind of a test run to see how this would go. Um, and that's kind of the fun part about that concert. So they recorded it. David Z and David Leonard uh, were engineers on this, and they recorded it, and uh, Prince liked what he saw. They also recorded Computer Blue, but they didn't use it from the show. Um, as well as other songs they recorded, When You Were Mine, which is an old song, Case, uh, Case of You, uh, Delirious, things, you know, some 1999 songs, just to kind of get people familiar with it. But and then Prince took that stuff in the studio, decided what he wanted to keep, and, and he was looking at electric intercourse as being um, possibly, you know, the, the love theme um, for the movie. And that's when Vanity was still sort of around, and it kind of made sense because Electric Intercourse is more of a vanity type thing. And if vanity was in the movie, it would have been a very much darker movie than when Apollonia got the part. Then, and by this point, yeah, by this point, Apollonia was nowhere around. She wasn't cast until I think the beginning of October, as I recall. And vanity was leaving. So um, that's where they were with this. But, but it was kind of the premiere of all this stuff. And, and nobody there knew what was going to happen. Nobody heard Purple Rain. So people were watching it going, okay, uh, kind of a cool song, but, you know, first time that it's played, didn't get the, it got applause, but it didn't get the kind of applause that it would get the rest of his career. You know, after this, anytime he played it, it was, you know, a showstopper. But that one, not quite yet. People just, they, uh, it was a great, you know, they, yeah, so. the, um, the, the song, Electric Intercourse, Prince had performed it at this particular event. Um, it's yes. one of the only times he ever played it with the band, other than before, uh, back in 2014, he just messed around with it. On the yeah, crowd, I was going to say, Prince played it real late in his career. Yeah. Now, when you listen to that version, and, you know, we've all had, it is outstanding. Sure. I don't even think he could have Absolutely. even topped oh, I love it. Be- no, I love it. And we've all heard the studio version now. Yeah. Which is great. I mean, it's great. But when you listen to the version he did at the dance theater event, it's outstanding. Right. And uh, exactly. in fact, 
from what I understood is that the Purple Rain Deluxe was supposed to feature the video for this performance, and I think there was some issues of some sort. That is true. Yeah. Well, I don't know why they didn't put it in there. I didn't know why they didn't put it in there. Yeah, they were trying to put it together, and they had some issues. Yeah. Um, I know it does exist. We've all seen it. Um, And I know that they're probably going to be coming out with that in some form, uh, you know, in the future. Um, Because they, they, of course, they're going to. It's a great concert. It's one of his best. So they've cleaned it up a lot. I know they're going to do something. I don't know, but I'm sure they're going to do something with it. Um, They wanted to make it, uh, the picture needed to be fixed better, and they needed to work on it longer, I guess, because of deadlines to getting everything to the press, uh, get everything pressed out and make the release date they weren't able to. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, here's the thing. When somebody comes out with the thing, we're coming out with an album in five months, they put their wish list on there. Sometimes they can't get everything they wanted. And there's times I'm upset with Warner Brothers and the family about certain things. But on this one, I was not as upset. I wanted them to have it. But if they couldn't get it and they couldn't get it right, I'd rather get it right than get it quick. You know? Correct. Um, so, okay, I'll wait for a little while longer and I'll enjoy everything on the Pearl Rain Deluxe uh, CD. And, and, you know, some good stuff on there. But the Electric Intercourse, the studio version, which is on there, is you're right, is not nearly as powerful as the live version. It's oh, good, it's great. But it, At the end of that version yeah. is out. Oh, yeah. He, he thinks it with conviction. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a great song. It's a great song. It's one of those ones that you kind of wish had been there, but Beautiful Ones is a pretty good song, too. So, you know. Oh, yes. I mean, it's an, another nice, powerful nice battle. Trade-off. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a nice trade-off. Yeah, so I, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Did you guys like the Purple Rain Deluxe CD? Of course. I loved it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> good, good. Me too. It, it's, uh, it's, it's, I'll put it to you this way, and, I, and I'll tell everybody this. When, when it came in my actual hands and I opened it up, and I'm actually sitting there in my living room listening to Prince's remaster of Purple Rain, I actually teared up because it was long-awaited, wow. and knowing that now I'm going to listen to all these unreleased recordings, and it, it, was, a, it was a little overwhelming for me because of, of just what Purple Rain, how it... Um, uh, it reeled me into the whole Prince world, you know? So, and I know a lot of people yeah. have said the same thing. Plus also that he's gone. Uh, it was emotional for me. And, I, and it's, it, I think it was for many people. I, you know, Chris, I, how did you feel about it? Well, I'd have to say that um, it had a lot of things that I did not expect. So I was, right. I, I, I'm, I'm always glad when I get things that I didn't even know existed. <laughs> like Katrina's paper dolls and things like that. It's just like, you know, um, I don't know that I knew about that song. I just, you know, some of these songs just kind of come out of the random blue. Um, I love that. When I got the CD, I got this, the great thing for me is that that weekend I got the CD. I was delivering the um, three things, delivering the book that week, the final draft of the book. Um, so I had to incorporate everything on the CD. I was also going to see the revolution that night at the will turn. And I was delivering an article, uh, to the current up in Minneapolis. So I had all these different things going and it was, you know, so it was a crazy time. I had known about some of the songs beforehand and I'd heard some of the songs beforehand. And so it was, there were two or three songs I had not heard. And 
when I saw that there was a studio version of Electric Intercourse, I, it blew me out of the water because I had, at that time, had no knowledge of this being a studio version of it. And and so I was like, wait, what, what? You know, that was that one to me was the biggest shock because that had not even been rumored, you know, among people. So that was kind of a novelty to me. Um, Velvet Kitty Cat was interesting. What are the other songs on there? Uh, Katrina's Paper Dolls, a, a, a novelty, not my favorite, but no. the cool thing is with, with Prince, it is somebody's favorite. You know, that's the cool thing is there's, there's a wide variety of people that like his music. That's bound to have been somebody's favorite song. So I kind of think that's cool that I, I want to hear every note. I want to hear every note the man recorded. You know, so, yeah, do I want to hear Katrina's Paper Dolls? Yeah. Would I want to hear another mix of Paper Dolls? Yeah, sure. Why not? You know, there's other songs I want to hear more. Uh, Love and Sex was really cool. I, yeah, that I, that's great my favorite song on there. Yes. That was, was my favorite song on there. Yep. Same here. Yep. That's a great one. I love that one. But, I mean, the reason yeah. why I bring and, up and, songs like Katrina's Paper Dolls is because of the fact that I, it, I, it wasn't even on my radar. I mean, I knew that Weekend yeah, Funk yeah. used to be Weekend F, which which yeah, I, I had actually expounded on with with Nikki when the album. Actually, when I did the um, I did a review of the the CD, and I was kind of in a little bit of a quandary that that was even on there. Not that I wasn't interested in hearing about the stuff that had come out during that during those sessions, but I also know that Prince was in a very very different place spiritually. Mm-hmm. And I was actually a little bit shocked to even see that on there because my thought was where he was as a person, as an individual, as you know, the, the spiritual you know, minded person that right. he was, I just can't honestly believe that that would have ended up on there. He would have put something else on there as filler. I just don't, I can't believe right. that that would have ended up there. And I agree with you. I think that, I think that he would not have had that song on there had he still been around. That said, it's still fantastic. It's historically relevant. <laughs> it's, 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 great. it's historically relevant. It's, right. it's, it's, the other thing about this song is it is a, a um, midway point between Purple Rain and Around the World a Day. And you can hear him going in that direction with finger symbols and stuff like that. It's, it's, um, it's kind of transitional. And, you know, it's, it's toward the end of his being really raw and nasty. And and into the more sublime, you know, the more popish. There was just you can hear, like I said, it was it was an important song to, to transition between Purple Rain and Around the World Day. Maybe not to release at the time, but it was you know it was a pretty important thing in his history. And I think that it's quite great that people get to hear it. But Love and Sex to me is my favorite song on there. Uh, just the, mine too. There's an energy, an energy, an excitement, and it's a James Brown feeling, and it's just, it's just, you just picture how cocky he was when he was doing that song, you know. His vocal on it is tremendous. Oh yeah, so good. So you sing it with conviction. You hear him, you know. It's really getting into it. The band sounds so great on it. All right, so why don't we do this? Why don't we take our second break and play Love and Sex? And then uh, we'll take uh, right. and then I've got a loaded question. So I don't want to I don't want to bring this on you until uh, until you have a little bit of break, a little bit of a little bit of nourishment and then we'll come back. So, okay. for those of you just listening right here on Funked Up, we're going to play Love and Sex right here on the Funkatopia radio show. One, two, three, four. <laughs> 
It's Mr. Christopher with the Funkatopia Radio Show. Welcome to Purple Prime Time. That was Love and Sex from the Purple Rain Deluxe Edition that came out last year. My, how time flies. Um, tonight, we have very special guest, Dwayne Tudor, on the phone, who is, uh, we don't actually have him handcuffed and roped to a chair, but I mean, I don't know what his wife Not does. Not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> now the authorities have come and let him loose. Exactly, uh, <laughs> I had time to escape. <laughs> <laughs> Come undone, there you go. Uh, yeah, so he is the author of the fantastic book, Prince and the Purple Rain Era Studio Sessions, 1983 and 1984. I mean, you you guys have already heard me tell the story a couple times that I, I had to have the book I because I heard so much about it. And um, I immediately went to um, his website, DwayneTudal.com. I think is where right, I where, right. where I found the link because at the time they had 250 uh, signed copies that they that you could purchase, and uh, I said, right. okay, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, and I got it. And uh, then of course I took it on a cruise ship, and it was way too weighty for me to carry around all the time, so right. I was just like, ah, screw it. So I bought a Kindle version, which was awesome because um, I was able to actually make highlights and things on it, and so I'm very very excited about it. Um, but so if anybody, so these, the 250 signed copies are gone, but there is, but let's take a a brief second for people who were really sparking interest in this book. Let's talk about two things. This is not going to qualify as my question, but the two things, the first is (laughs) where, where can people get this book? Where can people get the book? I'm going to let you kind of divulge all the information. And, uh, also you had mentioned the fact that there was going to be a paper book, a paperback version of it coming when's that happening and uh a little bit of information on that i will tell you uh <clears throat> they uh right now you can get the book a hardcover book um is available on amazon um just look it up you can also go to my website which is duane tudal d-u-a-n-e-t-u-d-a-h-l.com and download the um first chapter of the book um, just enter your email address and, and uh, you get on my email li- mailing list and you get the first chapter. And at the end of the first chapter is a coupon that's a discount if you order it through the publisher. Um, the publisher is Roman Littlefield Publishing. And I think it's a 30 or 35% discount if you order it through them. Um, so that's kind of a cool thing. Yeah, and, and you can, you know, like I said, you can look through the first chapter and see if you like it. Uh, and that's helpful uh, to a lot of people. Um, but on Amazon, you can also get it at Barnes & Noble. You can go into Barnes & Noble stores, I would call ahead, because sometimes it sells out. Um, but you can get it there. You can order it through Barnes & Noble. Um, you can order it through Target, Walmart. It's it's available. You know, it's, it's like a real book. Um, and uh, you, we talked about the paperback. <clears throat> We're talking, the publisher and I are discussing coming out with a paperback possibly in the fall. We're working on ideas right now. If I, I told them if I'm going to do a paperback, I'd like to add new information to it. I'd like to add new content. Um, it would be um, information I've gotten since the book came out. And I've gotten a bunch of information, songs I'd never heard of, um, information about um, new, in, new interviews with people. I've interviewed the other day, I interviewed Wally, uh, Safford, and I've also I re-interviewed Matt Fink. Uh, I'm supposed to be interviewing uh, one or two other people coming up soon um, for both that book and potentially future books. So um, <laughs> I'm laughing because now I'm going to end up with three copies of this freaking book. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to get it. It's not, you know, I do have it, to get it. it. If there's more information, I have to have it. 
But the, the third book, if, if we do the paperback, it will have, I can tell you, I already know of at least 12 dates that weren't in the book before, including information about um, songs I'd never heard before. Um, and so things like that that I, I think are, are important. And, you know, also, also updating some things because I realize as I'm going along going, well, since then, other people have come out with interviews. Like I said, the revolution's out there doing uh, interviews and stuff. So they occasionally say things that are great or um, just um, uh, rehearsals, information about that stuff. So I, I'm trying to make it as complete as possible. Um, I, they originally wanted me just to come out with a regular paperback, and I thought, you know what? I've got new information. Let's, you know, let's, let's, let's put that in a book and, and uh, see if people like it. And the paperback will be cheaper. The paperback's probably in the tw- like 20, 24, 25 bucks, I think. And then once Amazon gets a hold of it, they get, you know, a discount on that. So, um, but right now we're just trying to figure out how to do this. Um, so, you know, we're, we're, nothing's locked in stone yet, but they're going to come out with a paperback sometime. Um, we're just trying to figure out how to do this and what to do with it. But would you guys like a paperback if, it, if it's a, I mean, it would be something you would be interested in seeing um, with additional information? You think that'd be Absolutely. kind of a cool thing? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Just like you like to hear every single note that he's ever recorded, I want to know all the little tidbits. It's like I'm a sponge when it okay. comes to anything as far as okay. Prince is concerned. It's ridiculous. Yes. Okay. Of course. Well, good. Then. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, when it does do that, what I will do is I will uh, get in touch with you guys, and maybe we can at least I can show up on your show again, sure. you know, for a brief time to talk about what, what the new stuff in the book. Yeah, yeah. Doors always yeah, open. Right. Yeah, and and uh, um, so that's anyway. That's that's the best way to get the book right now. Um, I will be doing book signings. I'm going to try to do some schedule some book signings. I've got uh, uh, book signing I'm doing in San Francisco coming up this weekend. Um, with a group called Purple Funk San Francisco, um, and they're doing we're doing a thing called a Meet and Geek, where I'm being interviewed a little bit and going to sign books for those guys. And it's a great Prince group up in San Francisco. And then the week after that, uh, they're showing Purple Rain here in town in Los Angeles twice uh, on Friday and Saturday night of the following week. Um, and I'm on the panel uh, for that, and I'm going to be signing books there. And then I'm going to be up in Minneapolis for the celebration and the symposium yes. um, and signing books up there at two or three events. Um, and I'll be speaking at the symposium. I think I'm on a panel with a couple other authors. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm, I can't wait to meet people. I love – one of the coolest things to me is getting to meet everybody. And because and, uh, I know people might – I mean, i got a Facebook group I've created um, that people may not know. It's called Prince the Complete – Studio. What did I call it, actually? Uh, uh, Prince, the Complete Studio Sessions book series. And they can go there and sign in, and, and we're talking about all the things coming up. And I, I kind of post things that I think are interesting when it comes to the studio sessions. Uh, early on, before the book comes out, I generally post a page or two of things exclusively there so that people in that group will see things that nobody else has seen. Um, and that kind of stuff. And I, I try to, you know, people have questions, they ask me questions, and I keep people, you know, up to date about what, what's going on with everything. So that's the best place. And then you can find me on Facebook at Dwayne Tudal, you know, on Facebook. Um, so there's all kinds of ways to reach out to find me if you have any questions or if you're, you know, looking to uh, find out my schedule for book signings. I'm also hoping to do some book signings coming up. I mean, the Revolution is touring and Sheila E is touring. My thought is maybe I can start doing some book signings in some of the towns that they're playing. You know, find a date the revolution's playing and and schedule a book signing that day earlier in the day, 
you know, and so that people will be already interested or something like that. So we'll see. There's a lot of things that, that can happen like that. People be in the purple mode. Be in the purple yeah, yeah. I mean, I want to get a, uh, I want to get you know to as many cities as I can. Where my wife and I are talking about maybe doing um, loading up the back of our car with some books and driving from Boston down to Atlanta. You know, so uh, we'll see. You know, let us knows? know when you're here. Yeah, you know, it's it's right now. It's my first book, so I'm I'm just I'm I'm just I want to get this thing out there to everybody that wants to see it. My 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 thing right now is making sure people know this book exists. And if they if they like it, go to Amazon and write a review. Yes, you know there's a bunch Definitely of reviews on it now, and yeah. and you know I I, I the, the, those kind of things help me get closer to doing a second book. So the more people that write great reviews on Amazon, the better chance I have of doing book two. So that's that's really helpful to me. Well, right. we do. We're right. trying very hard to assist you. Uh, in any way we can. I mean, I love this book, and this wow. book comes up in conversation almost every day to anyone I talk to. So. <laughs> I'm being serious with we're, you, man. We're like, regularly pushing this world, you know? We are regularly I pushing this that. book. It's ridiculous. So, we're yeah, it's it's pretty much a regular thing. But one of the things I, th- I, I thought was that. neat, we ha- on Facebook, when you look up the Prince, the Complete Studio Sessions book series group, it, it, in order to join, and I was doing this while you were talking, in order to join, it asked you two questions. Um, and the first one, it, the first one is, well, th- the second one is what's your favorite Prince book? And obviously I just said yours. Uh, but the, uh, the first question is which, which album would you like to, to see a studio session book about next? Black album. I, that's exactly what I, I, I just saw it. I see your answer. <laughs> I see your answer already. <laughs> I said, I have to know. Yeah the background of the black album i mean i was think i was kind of running through the albums in the mind i was thinking oh, around the world today and i was just like i was thinking, what album has the most mystique behind it and i was like black album oh my god the black album well, for like, sure if i do if i do a second book um there's the cool thing about doing a second book would be it would cover some of the black album stuff because it, the second book would go 85 86 which covers Oh my gosh! Uh, parade. parade album, the yep. uh, under the under the Cherry Moon movie, the, the Parade tour, um, Madhouse, uh, the Flesh, oh, which is unreleased project, Joel Jones stuff, uh, Crystal Ball, Dream Factory, Sign of Times, basically was all recorded during that period. Uh, Wally was recorded during that period. Um, uh, parts from Black Album. Um, Camille was recorded in that period. You, so you get an idea of, of the of the Sheila's second and I think even maybe third album were recorded during that period. You get an idea of the breakup of the revolution happened during that. The breakup of him with Susanna broke during the oh period. Oh, my God. That's all. That's, that's, that's if I do a second book. How would that's you do that? That would be like a thousand pages. That's ridiculous. Well, here's the other thing. This is, the, this is what my, uh, my, my publisher and I were talking about last night is – this book that you got in your hand right now, the 84, 83, 84, is 220 plus sessions. Um, that the second book that I'm talking about right now already has 260 to 270 sessions that I know of. That's without me even doing all the research yet. It will probably go up to 280, oh 290. Um, that's insane. Yes. I, that's when, when you're insane. asking me if I'm feel daunted. I'm I'm more daunted by what the hell I'm going to do for the second book because that's a lot of stuff to do, you know, and make it a compelling. It's a compelling story, but make it into a way that that um, 
it tops the first book. I want to make a second book even better than the first book. That's my goal. You know, I, I want to keep making. I would. I tell you what. If I got to make these kind of books for the rest of my life, I'd be really happy. Oh yeah, we would I too. Think, I, think, <laughs> I, I, would, I would. I would love to sit there for a year or two, writing the book, coming out with a book, doing some press, doing some signings, meeting everybody, getting to go to dance parties, and and then crack into the next book. And and trust me, you would. You, in my casket, you would see me smiling. Years later, obviously, but but I'd be I'd be a very happy man knowing that that would be my career is is uh, writing books like this. So I mean, you think about this for a minute, okay? Now this book covers five hundred plus pages, right? Now, yeah, yeah. We and and imagine that Paisley Park wasn't even built yet. Imagine once he had exactly. full access twenty four hours a day to record right. under his own home. Could you imagine the size? of those sessions that we do not even know about. Incredible. Here's the thing, just looking through when I'm, I'm just starting to do some basic, I've got, well, I got, I got the second book kind of organized in case I was going to do it. There are dozens of songs that I've never heard of before that I'm just going, wait, what's this that are, um, are never released. If they ever did like a box set of sign of the times, you know, like they do with the Purple Rain thing, it could be a 10-album set, 10-CD set of just stuff that never came out. That's crazy when you look at that kind of stuff, you know? I would love to see a big... I would love to see every album given that kind of treatment. I would love to see Parade given that kind of treatment. You know, I would love to see them come back and do another version of Purple Rain to give it that kind of treatment. Um, It just... To me, there's just so much he's got that he's never come out with. You know, and some of it's great, some of it's okay, some of it's reason why there's a vault. You know, um, but I still want to hear it. Right. Well, I don't want to hear what it. What we understand um, is that uh, Prince handed Albert Magnolia a hundred songs and said, "That's cool." Yeah, exactly. He supposedly said that, and and I don't doubt that. I I don't know what the songs were. I wish I had the list. Albert's a great guy, by the way. He's I, I can't say enough great things about that guy. He, uh, the things he was able to help me with, with the book and the, the, um, knowledge and this, you know, the insights he had. So I'm in his debt because he also, uh, introduced me to certain people that really helped me as well. So I was very pleased to be his friend. Um, but yeah, I, when I heard that, I was like, yeah, all of us go hundred songs. I would love to hear those hundred songs. You know, what, what were they? Um, and I don't know if it was truly a hundred. Can't say. It's a great story. I don't know, but I imagine it's a lot, a lot of dozens and dozens and dozens of songs because, you know, he had that many unreleased songs. Well, so here's a good segue to my question that that I've kind of been sitting on because one of the things, this point, this era of Prince in this recording frenzy and not even just, I mean, this, this is kind of really the beginning of this whole, I want to say the bootleg era and you know everybody know even back in those days <clears throat> when you know sans facebook and most people didn't even have computers in in right. in those eras it was unbelievable how many bootlegs just seemed to just appear just kind of just right I mean, they would just come out of the ether. I mean, there were some record stores that I knew about in Atlanta that you could go in and they had like a little case 
and uh, you know, Wax and Facts in in little five points used to have this little area that had like bootleg print stuff in there, and and there was just like all these really cool little hip shops that always seemed to have like these sure. weird CDs of varying qualities, and there was a couple things that I had noted on page one sixty two of your book, and also on page one ninety two, okay. both places. Okay. Prince is quote it, it, when I use quoting, but he, you mentioned that Prince always was looking to get his most recent music out to the people as soon as possible. That's correct. That's so, correct, yes. so I, I really kind of, and this, you don't cover this at all. And I, and I want to say, make sure I missed it. And not once do you talk about the whole bootleg phenomenon. Now, obviously we know that you know, because in all these sessions, you say, okay, well, uh, as you're reading the book, he's saying, oh, well, he's recording this and uh, he puts it down to C60 tape. And he, or he made three copies of this on a quarter inch and he put it away. And right. he did, you know, so, and obviously there's some of the, you would assume that some of the bootlegs sources of this are primarily. You know these people that he's given this cassette to, making a copy, and then another person makes a copy, and then a right. copy of a copy, right. or whatever the case may be. Right. But it's always been this um, a bunch of people, including myself, really, to be totally honest. I'll, I'll use transparency here that 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 felt like Prince was behind the bootleg phenomenon. Like he really kind of felt like I'm going to put it out, but I'm going to pretend like I don't really. You know, I, I'm against this. I can't believe it got out there. I really feel like he really wanted to use the public as a as a as a Geiger counter of sorts to kind of figure out, you know, what would really hit, what really would not would not hit, and just kind of get people's reaction, just kind of intentionally putting things out there. But again, not once do you mention in the book anything about bootlegs at all. What is your perception based on all these people that you've spoken with, all the studio records showing how many tapes that he made about the bootleg evolution that started, pretty much started here in the early 80s with Prince and the whole, just the mystique of it as far as that's concerned? Um, bootleg, what is that? So I understand <laughs> uh, the phrase sounds... Co copies of music what? that are what? not released. What? What? What you're talking about? What you talking about, there, fella? I, I, completely in the dark about this. Um, I don't, honestly, what I and I've asked people about this. I'm kind of curious too, because you know, there was always the rumor that yeah, Prince did this. I have seen and heard no evidence of Prince doing this. If he did do it, it was by giving it to somebody else, hoping they would pass around. I don't think that he purposely did this very often if he did it at all. He might have done it once or twice with certain things, but I don't, because I think his best jams, he wanted to release. I mean, he, he and, and it cuts into his money. So I don't think that he was sitting there going, all right, I'm going to get, you know, this out there knowing that, you know, I can't re-release it. So I don't think he was purposely doing that. But if you're handing this many tapes out to this many people, odds are, some of them are going to hand be end up in the hands of the less than scrupulous. Um, that's just how it is. Uh, he, the stories are that he would have tapes in his car and he would go to the car wash or someone, he wouldn't, but send one of his people to the car wash and people who were cleaning out the car would clean out the car. 
uh, and take the tapes. Or there was always the story that he would make tapes to listen to on the way home. And if he didn't like the tape or the mix, he would just chuck the tape out the window. Now, granted, probably people aren't able to find those, but if you know where there might be them, it's something. But I think the fact that he was handing, if he liked a song, oftentimes he'd be saying, hey, listen to this jam I gave you. Or, you know, there were times when he'd make a tape for somebody specifically. Like, here's some songs I think would help you sleep. Or here's some songs that I think you'd really enjoy. And I don't think that uh, that was necessarily him releasing it like that. But it, it ended up, you know, people would... Um, would would take them somewhere else, and I think that's the that's where a lot of this stuff comes from. Is is from what I gather is is people saying, yeah, you want to listen to this, and kind of passing it on, not necessarily thinking it's going to go to a bootlegger. But you got to remember back then, I don't know how old you are, but back then the bootlegs that I remember listening to in '87 ish were poorly labeled. Yes. Six, seventh generation down. It was hissy yep. and, you know, no dynamic range or anything like this because they were, they were obviously a tape of a tape of a tape of right. stuff back then. Well, and, I'll, I'll be, I'll and, be, uh, I'll be 50 this year. And so, okay. so, so I, so I did my teenage year. Yeah. I did my teenage, teenage years in, in the eighties. And, and so you're right. 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 I, I had copy of, I had the black album in, I don't. I don't remember what. I mean, it, I had it way before it was ever released. Way before, and and, sure, and, and sure. it is just like it, you said. It was very, very hissy, and you know. But yeah, the, back then we just didn't care. It was like, oh, this is freaking amazing! I can't. Oh yeah. Because you know, yeah. you're, you're never thinking it's going to see the light of day. That was the other thing too. You you never, when you were listening to it, you weren't thinking. Oh, this is this is something that's going to come out in the future. You were thinking this is something that he's thrown away. That he's he's not he's not going to release or for forever right. or something. Because at that time, I think even with black album, it was an album that he, I guess had made it was going to be released, but then he stopped it because he had a, con- right, a, right. a conscience thing. And he just, so whatever you had, that was it. That was all you're going to get. So, yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine back then, I had a friend that worked for some people that, um, and he was given a black album uh, before it came out because the, as a thanks, and then they started collecting everyone's back, and I think that a couple of people in his office didn't give them back. And so he was able to make a tape that was pristine for us. And that was, like, incredible. To, you know, and there was a, the stories of the CDs floating around and stuff like this. But having a really good version early on was pretty amazing to, to have that. And Black Album's a great album. I, I've always enjoyed it. I always wondered why. I mean, the, the story was he recorded some of the songs for Sheila E.'s birthday party. And I'm like, I remember laughing about that thing. And what kind of crazy birthday party is that? You had Bob George and <laughs> what kind of messed up birthday is that? Guy shooting at you know uh, people and stuff like that. But okay, but yeah, that's supposedly the story. The um, other stuff here's back in the day, I enjoyed collecting and trading tapes. And I bought some bootlegs early on. I, I look back. And I think my opinion of bootlegs has shifted now that I see that there's people that really make a living off of that. And that's, to me, uncool. That's not right. Because the music, sharing it back then with trading tapes and stuff like that was one thing. And there was a, a sort of honesty to that. But when you're out there making money off of somebody else's work, 
I have an issue with that. And, and yeah. I, I know it sounds hypocritical because I, I enjoyed bootlegs when I was younger, but there is a, I think a, um, a, a, a more serious thing, you know, early on with my book, uh, somebody got a copy of the um, ebook and just copied it and started just handing it out to people. Well, that affects me. You know, I, books don't make a lot of money, so that means I have that much less sales and that less that much less of a chance of buying of not buying that much less of a chance of doing my second book right. because if I'm losing money, I can't afford to do that again. So musicians go through the same thing. You know, if they're not the prince was ever poor after Purple Rain, but it's still his money and his it's his stuff. So there was a there's the excitement of hearing the songs, but I have to balance that out with the fact that this is taking money from somebody somewhere, and that is and also affecting an artist's um, what the artist wants you to hear. And when Prince is alive, he had a lot of say in what his career, what he wanted you to hear. Um, so I go back and forth about some of this stuff. You know, I like I said, I enjoyed them, um, but I, 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 there's a, a, a gray area to me. And when you start making money off of it, that's where I, I, I feel like, okay, you're just crossing the line on this. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. Prince's quote, Prince's quote was um, that he said, Sure, I listen to bootlegs, and uh, sharing them with friends is fine, but making money on it is not cool. I don't remember the exact quote, but he did talk about that. Um, he is aware that people share music, and I knew he did. And, you know, hey, you want to hear a song? It's cool. One friend to another. But if you're going to go and make profit from it and sell it to right. the bootleg labels, I have a problem with it. I, I have a big problem. If, if you share something with somebody, that's one thing. If you're not going right. to take it and go make money and make five, six, seven, ten, twenty thousand dollars. I have an issue with that. To me it's uncool right, right. for many reasons. First of all, it's a blessing. No, I agree. If somebody says yeah. to you, if you call me up and said, Hey Nikki, I got a version of this song called whatever it would be and you said, I'm gonna come by your house, let's check it out together. You gave me a copy right. of it. I have it. It's a blessing that we can listen to it. Now, if somebody gets that track, they're gonna take it, sell it to the bootleg companies. Now they're making huge right. profit. I have issues right. with that. Okay, big, big I issues. I agree. Problematic. It's yeah. ethically I wrong. Agree. I agree with you. There's a, there's a trust to trading and collecting because there's an unspoken vow of this is us doing each other favors. And I don't, you know, this is what I used to do years ago, but I'm so out of the scene now. But there was a, a you know, a, a respect that you gave each other, like this stays between us. And I don't think that when you add the bootleggers and the money that that's really what happens because they, you know, people see, oh, or a paycheck and they start selling something that's not theirs to sell. And that's, I haven't, and if that's the quote basically from Prince, then we agree completely on that. Then that, I think I'd read that before too, but that's, you, that's um, my thought on that. It's crazy because, um, you can make money doing many different things, your jobs, whatever. And then sure. Prince, Prince is a sacred thing to all of us. Prince is something that. Right. It's right. a soundtrack to the music of our lives, and and to me, I felt it meant it meant so much to me that okay, you know, you have to be true to something. You have to be true to the artist of Prince, the music of Prince, and I and I've always had issues with it. You know, in fact, in fact, you know, I mean, it, it's just it's wrong. And when I see people right. 
making this kind of money and doing this kind of thing. Sharing it is fine. But but when I see it, they go, oh, yeah, well, you know, this and that. I go, I am so uncool about it. It's not fun. And yeah, no, I I'm agree. Against- the interesting, right, there's, a, there's an interesting phenomenon when it comes to unreleased music as well. And this is not really on the bootleg thing, but I have noticed this. As a collective of Prince people, we honor outtakes a lot. And we yes. hear things and we yes. and we go, oh, that's the greatest thing ever. And it's a, it's we elevate that sometimes above the things that are released, probably because we've heard the release things so much, and we feel like we're getting to see something we didn't get to see or to, to hear. Um, right. It's and so we'll sometimes elevate a song that's that's good to an excellent status just because it's our own secret type thing. We're in on a little group. And so there's a, um, a feeling of, no, this song is the jam because nobody knows it. You know, how many of, how many people used to just talk about how amazing, uh, Moonbeam Levels was, you know, it was like, Oh, it's beautiful. It's stunning, you know, and, and because it was something that we were privy to and we kind of, it wasn't sold. It wasn't, you know, whatever, it was just something we call kind of heard, and we're like, going, oh, yeah, that's that's nice. And I, I think that there's a, uh, so people, when it comes to music, the outtakes things are something that we all enjoy because it's a peek behind a curtain that we wouldn't get. And so we're um, possessive, and not necessarily in a bad way, but sometimes bad, but just we give them extra praise and extra um, honor. And, and, I found that some of those, you know, some of it's warranted, some of it's not always warranted. You know, I I'm, wish they'd come out with more of the Crystal Ball CDs. You know, the uh, I thought that Crystal Ball thing they did, the three CD set they did was great. You know, with all the, um, he called his bootleg series. <laughs> I would love to see him do more of that stuff, you know, because there's a lot of songs out there I'd like to hear. Um, and some of them are great, and some of them aren't. But I like the fact that we all kind of feel excited when we, get to hear music. And that's why when the Purple Rain Deluxe came out, first disc I went to was actually to the outtakes. I, I that that's when I, I opened the package and luckily I think that was the first one that fell out of the package because it wasn't great packaging. Um, and I listened to that one over and over and over because I just wanted to hear what I didn't know. And now it's even more so because we know what Prince released when he was alive. And that stuff is sacred to us. Right. So the stuff that we get to hear when the uh, Warner Brothers and when the estate does start releasing stuff is going to be for us a um, a path to him that the music um, will uh, bridge. And that's, I think, one of the things I hope when they start releasing stuff is being able to hear the things that take us back to a place and hearing how he was at a time when we, um, you know, when he wasn't letting anybody hear this stuff. I would love to hear them come out with some rehearsals, you know, to hear him jamming with the band and jamming and stuff like this, sound checks, to me, brings him alive again. And I, right. I love that stuff. And that's one of the thing with the book is when I started reading some of the stories of and hearing the stories of the engineers and talking about this stuff, it makes me hear the music a little differently. You know, I'm listening to the songs going, oh, that's what he was doing there. 
oh, okay. And it makes the song new in a way that I didn't think I could have it new again. Does that make sense to you guys? Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah definitely. Definitely. Can I say something really briefly? Would it be okay? I mean, this is yeah. in this topic. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. talking about all this music that Prince recorded. There's a concert that Prince did at First Avenue for his birthday in June 7, 1984. Sure. And sure. this particular show that Prince did, he, he came on stage at the Revolution, and they started up right. with 17 days, and he did Roadhouse Garden, Our Destiny. He did Noon Rendezvous. And, and he says right. to the crowd, he says, uh, you know, hey, how's everybody doing? Good. He says... Um, you know, you can't always expect to, you know, come to First Avenue and expect to hear literary Corvette. So that's not going to work. And right. he kind of touched into that. He said, some of the songs you know, some of them you won't know. He goes, but, you know, well, we recognize that we can. Yeah, exactly. Can yeah. you give a little bit more into this whole birthday show and what happened? And I think here's a, the, the thing with that is everything I've understood about that show well, first off, it was right before Purple Rain really hit, and it was when he had come out with um, when Doves Cry was out there, and so um, it was a little bit to promote that. It was like a Purple Purple Rain party, even though Purple Rain wasn't out. Kind of a, a sneak preview of of what was going to be there. Um, but I think he was also trying to do something that he had done with the First Avenue show in August of the year before, which was debut some songs live, then sort of play with them and see if they could be something that he could use for the next album. This is stuff that, you know, it, it worked really well with the Purple Rain thing because there's an energy to Let's Go Crazy. There's an energy to, even though that wasn't recorded at the thing, there's an, he, he had worked on that live. There's an energy to Purple Rain. There's an energy to um, I Would Die, uh, 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 yeah, I Would Die For You, um, that you don't quite get in the studio. And I think him doing that show at, at First Avenue, we did um, Our Destiny, Roadhouse Garden. Uh, he, he debuted uh, All Day, All Night, uh, Noon Run. 17 Days? Yeah, yeah, but that was, he had, that was already released on an album, so or the 45, so that was not a... It was new to the crowd, but it wasn't new. And I think he'd actually played that like a month earlier live. I'm pretty sure he had played that. But okay. but things like that, he had not... Um, so he could easily have come out with these things on a new album and, and uh, you know, done the same thing he did with the songs from Purple Rain. That's what I kind of heard was really the plan to a certain extent of that, you know, to see if he could do that stuff again, to kind of catch lightning in a bottle again. And those are great. I, I wish he would have come out with Roadhouse Garden. I wish he would have come out with Our Destiny. Um, but had he done that, we wouldn't have Around the World a Day. So, you know, there's, there's, there's give and take on things. And, you know, if, if, like if he had continued the Purple Rain tour, we wouldn't have the Parade album because he did that right after the Purple Rain tour. Because so, he said he wanted to challenge himself. Rather, he said yeah, it was needed and I to think, come out with a yeah. Purple Rain too, but he wanted to yeah. challenge himself and his fan base. Well, and the, the, the thing that he, with him is he was an artist. At the end of the day, the bottom line is this guy was an artist and he would release what he wanted you to hear. He would try to get after a while, he would try to get as quirky as possible and see how far he could go out on a limb and still have people follow him. You know, that dance was a very quirky thing, but he did that because he thought, let's see how far out I can go on this. And then Ballad of Dorothy Parker or, or It 
or things like that that you're going, okay, or or uh, if I was your girlfriend, you know, just you're going, wait, wait, what? And you see a picture on the cover, and then it's like people didn't know who Cat was, and like, is that Prince? You know, just trying to just see how far he can push the envelope as an artist, doing things further and further. And so, yeah, the, you know, I think after a while you get bored with making pop songs, and you want to do something that's, you know, expressing where you are at that moment. And every every song he did, give me better remember, every song he did is a snapshot about that day. His mood, his uh, his attitude, whether he's in love, whether he's angry at somebody, all of those are just his way of communicating with everybody. It's it's you know directly from him, unfiltered through a producer, unfiltered through most of the time through bands. It's him saying, you know what, I'm in a lonely mood tonight. I'm going to write empty room. Okay. Or I'm in a great mood tonight. I'm going to write, let's go crazy. And so each song is a postcard from that day that he was doing it. So when you see a studio book and you see it in context, it gives it even more um, relationship to what his life was going through at the time. And you see that, oh, he did this song because he's happy or he did this song because he was sad, or, or he was fighting with this person, or whatever it was, that, to me, helps explain his music in a way that just listening to music doesn't. It, it adds a layer to it, of an unspoken layer to the song. And that's fun to me, you know. Quiet. Yeah. Chris. <laughs> oh, it's my turn? <laughs> oh, really? Okay, all right. Um... So there was a, a mention in the book, um, and, and I was trying. I, I thought, did I miss something? But I, I can't remember what, what page it was. But there was some lyrics that he had written on um, on some stationery from the uh, Le, Le, Le Park, Park Hotel. Le Park Hotel. And it said, yeah. "A boy got killed at Disneyland today. Some say he, he was, was trying to be Superman." Superman. So, but, but, but what, what caught me off and I'm, I'm always one of these people that kind of pays attention to to little things that may or may be (laughs) substantial or not, but you said he once again wrote lyrics on the stationery from Le Park Hotel. And I didn't remember any other references to Le Park Hotel. That one is from, she's always in my hair and. And he had done that with Glamorous Life the day before, as I recall. Um, there's a funny story that isn't in the book yet. It might put it in the paperback um, of the night before when he did the lyrics to, I want to say it was to Glamorous Life. He was staying at La Park and at like, um, and this is when I just interviewed Wally the other day. And that's why it's not in the book. He said Wally, they had a suite and Wally was his bodyguard and Wally's in one room and Prince is in another room and like three in the morning, he either gets a knock or a call. I forget which one it was. That says, Wally. And he's like, yeah, yeah, Prince. Do you have some stationery? He's like, yeah. Okay, can you give me some of the stationery? So he gave him the stationery from there, and that's where he was writing this stuff from is the hotel because he'd take tapes back there and listen to it. And that's where he wrote Glamorous Life, at least the lyrics to it. And apparently uh, she's always in my hair as well. So that's why uh, it may have said – he did it again. I had to look back and see if I, I thought I wrote that in there for glamorous life, but I, I don't know for sure. Let me I can check what we're talking. I guess yeah, I, I may but, have missed um, it, but I, I thought that was unusual. Well, I was like, there's a lot to see. There's a right. There's a lot to see. So yeah. Um, yeah. and I, I realized that 
you know, um, I want to talk a little bit about the relationship between Prince and Peterson, um, St. Paul, because uh, St. Paul, yeah. So, I, I, I guess what the this guy, I, I really want to get Paul on the show at some point in time because I really want to talk to him and just kind because this is a guy who I just feel like was unloaded on during the entire 80s whether it was he was being unloaded on by Morris Day for having to be the guy to fill things in or whether right. or not he was uh, being called out by by Prince from the stage you know Prince calling him a punk and Paul punk of the month yeah I, I mean yeah. It, what is the relate I mean obviously he must have you know, appreciated him as, as an artist because he had him in the family and it was, it was fantastic. Right. It was one of the most collected and sought after albums that they I had. Love it, I love it's so fantastic. It it's so, it was so yeah, amazing. It's a great album. And, um, we the had a relationship. Yeah, good, no, no, that, that you, you're, you're going to answer the question. And that, that was, I, I'm trying to figure out this relationship because it seemed like there was a lot of disdain there, but at the same time, it just seemed like he just didn't merge well at all with anything that Prince was doing, even though he, he, he came up to bat every single time and he knocked it out of the park every single time, but the guy was never catching a break. Um, the relationship from what I understand between Paul and, and Prince is complicated, was complicated, but I think that he really respected Paul because first off, Paul is insanely talented, insanely talented. Come from the Peterson family. Peterson family, if you don't know, is really one of the first, probably the first family of musicians in Minneapolis. Ricky Peterson and everything, even the mom. It just it, the the music that went through the Peterson family is can fill a book. It's just crazy. Paul was the is the the kid brother of Ricky, and Ricky had worked with Prince quite a bit on a lot of things. And I think actually, I don't know if he produced his stuff or just engineered, but he did a lot. He was really somebody Prince relied on. But um, Paul was just a kid, just a pup, when he was brought into the time. And then uh, the time disbanded and was brought into the family. And then Paul left. Paul got frustrated with the fact that um, it wasn't going anywhere, and he decided that I'm 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 got a better offer with something, um, and was being courted by A and M and uh, I forget the other label, um, and he left. And um, they did not really talk for years, but. He saw that you know Prince was doing. The, he was at the concert when they did the St. Paul Punk of the Month, and I think that he saw doing a couple of things like that. And so there was a a little bit of thing that. But I know years later, Paul went back and worked was working at Paisley Park with his brother Ricky, and they were getting ready to leave. They're wrapping up, and he um, wrote Prince a note and said, you know, I want to thank you for all you've done for me. You've really, you know, you opened doors that I never thought would be open. Just incredible. Paul is a very humble uh, guy for the talent that he's got. I mean, he's kick-ass on the, on the base and just really just one of these guys that just is, in, like I said, insanely talented. He's incredible. And he wrote a note to Prince, and Prince called him the next day or real soon after that and said, why don't you come on by? And he came by and, uh, um, talked to him and they laughed about stuff. And then he asked 
Paul to join his band. So Paul was actually asked to join. This is, I want to say, probably the 2010s ish. I don't know when it was. Uh, after he left Warner Brothers, um, but he'd asked Paul to join his band. But the caveat is it would be a vegetarian group, and Paul was like, "I don't. That's not going to happen." And <laughs> they laughed, and that was it. Um, but that was so. There was a respect that Paul had for Prince, but it was reciprocated by Prince recognizing that Paul was an incredibly talented guy. And uh, he wouldn't have put him at the front of a thing like the family, which was something he was doing to prove to everybody that he could create a band, you know, like the, better than the time. He wouldn't have put Paul in the front if he didn't think he could he had the chops. And, you know, the album is great. Yeah, I mean, granted, Paul didn't really play on it, but he's, his voice is all over it. And if you guys have ever seen F Deluxe, you'll see that, you know, he's just, just amazing. Um, that's the relationship. Yeah, that's that's the basically the relationship that they had. Um, and but the Petersons are the first family of Minneapolis music, and and are respected across the board, up and down by everybody. Up and you know even like I said, Paul's mom was she was like the mom to everybody up there. So that's just how it went. Nice Norwegian family. Very nice. Is, uh, From everything here I hear in New York at the time, the uh, the song uh, "Screams of Passion" was tr- was big here in New York City, and the radio was oh, really? playing it. And uh, there was a video, and it was it was it was it was strong here in New York. I mean, this. Uh, did you know for a fact? Did you, did you know this information? I mean, I know there's a lot of a lot of things that kind of went, but uh, when Prince was doing the parade tour, was he supposed to take the family on the road with him? I, I, I had really not sure. heard no because the, the family the, the um I don't the the uh, the family broke up in August of eighty five and the parade tour didn't start till eighty six so they were long broken up by that point um uh they they they'd been broken up for months by that point so I'm sure he would have uh, wanted to uh but they were uh, they had been long gone by that point. And he had, he just brought everybody into the, you know, into uh, the revolution. And they were never scheduled. Some people asked if they were scheduled for it to be on the uh, Purple Rain tour, but they weren't nowhere. They were nowhere near ready for the Purple Rain tour. So uh, they, I don't think it was any major tour they were they were physically scheduled for. I'm sure, like I said, if they'd lasted, they he would have considered having them open because they they would have been pretty good. It would be really good. But it didn't work out. So, and no, just so I want to be sure clear, I, I know Paul. I've gotten a few quotes from him for the book, but I've never formally interviewed him for the book. These are stories I know from doing the research and stuff like this. Um, but I, uh, and and you know, I I, I know Paul enough, you know, to be able to say hi and he knows me and I've asked him questions and he's helped me with things. He's, he's got a copy of the book and, and, uh, things like that, but it's not like, uh, I, I do not formally interview him for the book just to make sure that's clear. I don't want anybody thinking that, you know, I had, Oh no, no, I, I wish I would. I would love, I would love to oh, interview yeah, him. I think it'd be great to interview him, but, you know, but, but I've not, I've interviewed Susanna from the family, uh, extensively, and other people like that. So I know a lot of details about the sessions and David Z who was recording all the vocals, um, things like that. And, and we used Jellybean Johnson's interview from, uh, from when I was from uptown and, uh, um, so things, so I got insight into the band there through all that stuff. But, uh, 
And Paul has done enough public interviews where this stuff is, in, you know, you can find this stuff out. So that's the dynamic, though, from what I understand. Now, you said you had been writing this book for 20 years. Did, did you, this obviously goes into, uh, did you personally interview David Coleman, or is everything you got from him all yes, interviews? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, you did? Uh, I, I, sought out, yeah, I sought out David Coleman years ago. He passed away early 90s, I guess. Or no, not early 90s. 2004, I think. In the uh, late yeah, okay, 2004, okay. I interviewed him probably 95, 96-ish. Um, and he's one of these forgotten treasures um, oh, that, pe- pe- that people don't really know. And then when you start reading the book, you're going, oh, my God, who is this guy? And the cool thing is he, he's got stuff in the next book, too, because he was actually rehearsing with the family. They wanted him to play strings on stage for a while. Um and and I can tell you, David was the sweetest guy, just the nicest guy, and he was actually the reason why Lisa interviewed with me for the book because we talked about David a lot, and and she would tell me stories about how Prince loved David, and how David changed the course of Prince's career, and I I see that you you see by him bringing the instruments, uh, just so people know who don't know, David Coleman is Lisa Coleman, her, her, her brother. And uh, he played strings on several tracks, Take Me With You, and, and uh, I had to look at the list and stuff, but uh, Purple Rain um, and several things like that um, on the album. And then stuff on Around the World a Day. Uh, he was brought in with Susie Katayama and, and, and people like that to play strings on this stuff. Um, but Prince loved being around David and, and, uh, there's some very funny stories in there with David. I just, um, I was fortunate to know the guy. Um, I, I can't say we were, you know, we didn't call each other daily or anything like that. I did interview him and, and we kept in touch. Um, but honestly, funny guy, charming guy, musically so talented and, and so far ahead of things that he influenced Prince to the point where Prince changed the direction of his music. He ended the Purple Rain tour early because of David, because David inspired him to do stuff like Around the World a Day, and he went, whoa, 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 I've got to do something. I can't just play Purple Rain every night. I've got to do something else. And, and that was because almost directly from David Coleman. Yeah, pretty amazing. Pretty amazing guy. Yeah, I'd love to be able to see some of some of his story and just I mean because I know that he had a lot of influence. He brought a lot of that. Um, what was that? Um, oh, yeah. What was that instrument that he played that freaked uh, freaked Prince out? Uh, there was a version of the well, guitar. Uh, was, the, was it the oud? Yeah, the, the oud. oud. It was the oud. Yeah, it was kind yeah. of like a yeah. It was a, and and Prince picked it up out of David's hand and strummed mm-hmm. on it and goes like, "Oh no, I'm not. Pl- I can't play this." <laughs> and this is this is the thing with Prince and instruments. It's 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 fascinating because you know he tried playing saxophone, and Jill Jones talks about that in the book about Prince playing saxophone and said, you know, this book the saxophone is as big as him. Um, and uh, somebody comes with a whole harp story where he brought somebody in to play harp. Um, and you just picture Prince. I can picture Prince standing there studying the person playing it, thinking, how can I do this? I could play that because the guy just knew music, you know, and you know, he's sitting there looking at going, I could do that. And he's watching him. How do you play that? How do you mic that? How do you, you know? And so I think that's got to be fascinating when an instrument that he doesn't know, like the oud comes into his, his, his range and you're going, and he's like, Oh, I don't like it. Can't do it. You know, I, that to me is fascinating. Yeah, it's yeah, like sometimes a lot of our a lot of our uh, relationships with instruments. I mean, even as kids, it's like sometimes. I mean, I think that is 
that is a direction for a lot of people as far as whether or not they play instruments. It's like they pick it up and it, and if they can't if they can't spend if they can't put uh, create a nice sound out of it within the first thirty minutes of them holding it, most likely they're going to put it down right. and not touch it again. And I think that's kind of oh, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. what it was with 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 him. It was just like oh, this is just not going to work. And he didn't like the feel of the strings right. and everything else. But my next question. Right. Well, it's like all of us haven't played the recorder when we were a kid. You know, I'm right. sure you guys <laughs> right. have the same thing. Here's going to play the recorder. All right. And you like, <laughs> okay. And we all kind of got a little musical uh, thing from that. Yeah. So I get it. I remember that. The guy, um, who, the guy who made those recorders must have been getting rich because, you know, every kid back then had a recorder. So, you know, that would have been a great gimmick to have. Um, the next question I have was there was some interesting things that I kept seeing in, um, in this, in the thread, especially in regards to Morris day. And, um, one of the things I always intrigues me is the people that play on songs that, you know, don't get credited or whatever, whatever the case may be, especially nowadays, nowadays, if somebody, you know, wrote a song or played on it and didn't get credited, they just simply just take that musician to court and it's just, it's just a done deal. Like for instance, with, with more, with Morris day, um, a lot of people don't know that he's the one that's playing the drums on chlorine bacon skin. We already talked about that er earlier, but he, he, he also is the one who played the drums on irresistible bitch. Well, now that's assumed. Because it happened right. in the same session, and it's the same exact beat, and it was just like a continuation of, of the same thing. But there is a common thread that happens with with Prince, because, you know, I guess I don't really... I, 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 I was a professional musician for a while. I was a vocalist in, in, in a band, and, and I actually, you know, okay. I, I did some of the things. But some of the legalities around some of the, the songwriting credits and how exactly that works, because if you have a basic melody and you're sitting in a room with a bunch of other musicians and they are all coming up with their own parts to build out the song – technically right. they are contributing to the writing of that song that baseline wasn't something sure, you sure. came up with that you know that keyboard part wasn't something you came up with and that happened a lot of times now there was a, obviously many many times where he was in the recording studio doing his own thing and he wrote everything front to back and you just replicated what he did and that was that but there right, was many right. times where there was more people that were in the studio that ever got credit for the songs. And I can think of, obviously, we, we I interviewed uh, Brown Mark uh, not too long ago, and we started talking about Kiss and how it, all that went down. Oh, yeah. And it's a big one. It's so, a huge so, one. Right, so right. I, I guess my, my concern is, not my concern, my question is, how is it that Prince just did not find himself in a bunch of legal trappings with as often as that happened where people were involved in writing a lot of these songs and he just simply just i mean it just seemed like he was i i, I can't think of the, the oh, right word yeah. okay the best way i can say it is look at the, the beatles uh a lot of the songs were lennon mccartney um but that doesn't mean george harrison didn't have a hand in doing his solo or doing you know rhythm parts or something like that um, and Ringo would be doing the fills and everything. They weren't getting credit on it, but they were getting paid for the sessions and they were getting paid, you know. So the same thing with these people. I think during Purple Rain, most of the revolution was on a percentage basis for the album where they got a point or two. I don't remember what it was. Um, so they were getting paid as um, 
part of the of the uh, process, and they would get residuals from that. Um, with the time, Morris did get credit on some songs. Uh, Jesse got credit on some songs, um, but yeah, it was mostly considered Prince. And, and because you were under Prince's employ, you were being hired to do this. Yeah, it's a gray area, and you could probably sue for it. Uh, you sue Prince, and then you're never playing with him again. Well, right. So, but what was the Prince's a, a and Morris line of do you do you uh, sue the guy that's um, you know paying the bills? I don't know. I, that's just my guess. My guess is is these guys brought vital things to it. You hear every song you hear from these guys, you can tell who he's around in some form. You know, the time obviously sounds like he's in a room with. Morris and possibly Jerome, and they're just having fun and goofing around. There's a, a a darker funk to it, and whereas you can hear when he's doing stuff with Wendy and Lisa, or you can hear when he's doing stuff with, you know, whatever it is. You just the people around him, I think, influence him, um, and whether the influence is is enough to warrant being paid for the song, I don't know. Um, you know, Brown Mark's got a great story about Kiss, like you said, where he and David Z really did flesh that out. And right. and to a point where it was just a little, you know, little thing, and, and they made this full song that they basically produced, and Prince comes in, puts a little jingle jangle guitar over it, sings it in falsetto, and gets rid of the bass, which is Brown Mark's instrument, and it's Prince's song. So yeah, I think Brown Mark's got a great story of why he had a lot to do with it because he did. He had a lot to do with with uh, Kiss, you know, very much so. Well, and, and I and, think that's a, that's a yeah, that's a valid one, definitely. And a feeder to that question, and and then I'll let Nikki ask a question. The feeder to that question is what was Moore's days and the Times' involvement in "Take Me with You," because you have indicated in the book that they were listed on there for take me with you and Nothing. then it was scratched off so what was yeah, the reason why is, okay here's the thing is the, the, those work orders are often written by somebody else based on what they thought the session would be so that was done in february of that was in late january of of uh 84 um and that was during the time here here's the thing that uh, let me back up one step to tell this when he's recording these things, January of 84 was basically the uh, month he was doing the Time album. He would find uh, a small week or two or three and get it done and lock it down. And by the end of the month, if you look at the end of the month of many of these things, he was wrapping up certain songs or certain albums at the end of the month as if as if he said, I got to get this done by the 31st. And so I am done. And the Times album was basically done for the most part during January. So the person writing out the work orders would say, oh, I assume that it's going to be more of Morris Day and the Time, and pre-type that. And oh. Prince gets from the studio and says, you know, I think uh, I'm going to do Take okay. Me With You. And that's why it says that. But I wanted to make sure it was understood that this is what the work order said originally. That doesn't mean that they were involved it just means that that was what was assumed was going to be involved and things changed take me with you i think was done the 27th or so of, of 84 of january um back around that last week so and that's that is just apollonia and uh prince 
from what I understand. I got to look back at my notes on that, but I think that was pretty much those two doing that with him. Um, it was his first big duet with somebody. So right. the time did not have anything to do with that as far as I know at all. Of course. Being able, we were talking about that with Apollonia 6, um, Chris and I were talking about, and Chris was telling a lot of people about this. Um, uh, we're talking about how uh, the song 17 Days was originally uh, Prince brought in Brenda oh, yeah. to come in and, and sing it. In fact, we played it last week, and we found out that it's on her album that she has on the Amazon. Album, yeah. It closes not the record. Same version, she does a version of 17 version. Days, right? Right, not the same version. She's updated it, but yeah, it's, it's, she's... Right, of course. Well, it's, it's, yeah. right. it's a new yeah. version of the song right, right, that she right. recorded. But Chris was letting me know, he was, we were talking about it, and we talked about it on the show last week, that uh, Prince had brought her in. And originally, 17 Days was a possibility for the Apollonia 6 album. Right, right, and right. And he re-recorded the track, so he went back to it, and then he you know, he said, you know what, I love this song, and then he recorded his version, and ultimately we have as the B-side to When Death's Cry. Right. It's a great song. It's, a good it's, a, it's amazing how, you know, he, he gets all these great musicians, you know, these girls together, and how he didn't just utilize Apollonia. He utilized her and Susan Lucy and, uh, and, and Brenda's Brenda. Got, here's, here's the thing with Brenda. Brenda's got such a great voice. Brenda's got pipes uh, for weeks. She And she's got a nice, deep voice that offsets... Uh, other people singing with her when she sings with Susanna and stuff like that. There's a a, a, a way it flows together. And Brenda had I, I I've had Brenda over the house. Brenda's a sweetheart. She's uh, she helped with the book quite a bit. And I honestly can't say enough great things about her. And and she was a, very important for that period with what she was adding to Princess Sound because he wanted to do a solo album with her, and it just never panned out, but she had a great voice. I, I think that, unfortunately to me, Apollonia 6 or Vanity 6 wasn't necessarily the band she should have been in because she has a voice that is better than what she was um, granted to do because uh, it just is this epic um, thick uh, resonant voice that is just I don't know. I, every time I hear it, I just I, you can hear it's her. And I think Princess said to her, "I could you know I could hear a, a hundred singers, and I know which one was you." That's that's what she was. And and Prince adored her voice and found ways to put her voice into things. That's that's what I can say about her. So she's excellent. Yeah, her record is is really really good. And uh, when I heard it, I said, "Wow, she." Really powerful voice. It's, it's, yeah. Oh yeah. Really. Oh yeah. Pretty pretty yeah. good. I was impressed with the with the whole thing. Um, I wanted to ask you a question. Uh, yeah. I know we were segueing into this. Chris, I hope you don't mind. I wanted to throw this one in. No, go ahead. Um, Warner Brothers, when they released the 1999 album, it was a double vinyl record, and they took a risk. From what I understand in the book that you mentioned, you know, they took a risk on that record because he was releasing five albums in five years, Prince. Right, and, right, right. You know, he had a nice, sizable audience, as it's described, you know, for the shows and all, and people were coming out, and, and he had a nice little following. And But when they released the song, 1999, it didn't do so great. And it wasn't his, like, like as what the song is now. And then, you know, they said, okay, we got to find another single. So they said, okay, literally, I called that. And then Prince said, okay, I'm going to take the song 
he went back to his basement studio in Minneapolis and he started to make a, a remix of it. Right. And then this is the question I had for you. Okay. He, when, when Warner Brothers, when he gave it to Warner Brothers to release, they released it in Belgium and on the, and on the UK. And then here in the States, it was only released as a promo seat, a promo vinyl copy. Right. Do you know why that he didn't take the remix and officially release it here in the States? Would you know anything? No, I, I, unfortunately I don't know. My guess is they may have had bigger plans for other things. Um, I, I, I don't know why. Um, it is weird when I'm looking through the book and finding things that, oh, this was released in the Netherlands or this is released here and not here. I, I don't know why some of that stuff was. The Beatles did that with, with songs. They'd, they'd have different mixes of albums, you know, entire albums. And I think they just thought that people would not notice. Um, and, and maybe, you know, I, I, anything I would say would be speculation. So I, I, I don't have much to add. Is this, is this why Purple Rain wasn't a double album? Although it would have been great because God's in the movie, you know, The Bird, uh, you know, Jungle Love, Sex Shooter. I mean, these, these songs would have been great as a double album, like with Graffiti Bridge. Graffiti Bridge features Prince songs, and it had music from the time. And, and was I mean, they didn't want, I guess, being that well, I think, they didn't want to take another gamble. You know, they're making I think, the film. Yeah I, think with, yeah, I think with the deal with that is Purple Rain, it's a Purple Rain soundtrack, but it is a Prince album. It is It's not, it's a soundtrack album, but it is a Prince album. And I think that at the time, he wasn't wanting to have other things on it. Also, you got to remember, by having a Time album, and by having an Apollonia 6 album, he has the potential to be making more money and spreading it around a little bit more. So there's only so much you can fit on a double album, and uh, he wouldn't really put God on there. Maybe he put God on there because God is the movie, but he really put him, wouldn't put 17 Days on there, would not put Erotic City because they weren't in the movie. They had nothing to do with the movie. Um, so he'd, he'd add the equivalent of five songs, which would be uh, Jungle Love, The Bird, uh, well, Take Me With Zordy on there, uh, um, um, Sex Shooter, and Modern Air. Modern Air. But, you know, and then I guess Possessed he could throw on there, and God, but that's still not enough for a double album. Um, right. Like and over so in the UK, they released the instrumental version of God, which everybody right. and, looks crazy. Right, they, they put both of those on the same thing with, with Purple Rain. Um, and so I, I, I think that, you know, every country's going to have a little different. Also, the different countries know kind of what they're doing. If they see that a song is going up the charts in a country, they may say, you know what, this needs a little boost, or this doesn't need a boost, or this would be great if we put this on a show, or he's not going to tour here, so we need to have something that goes on tour, let's have his music go on tour. That kind of stuff gets factored in. But I don't know why they would just release it in one place and not here. As a promo, I, I always find that weird. Or when they do a mono mix and send that out, I, 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 these are executive decisions from Warner Brothers or for any record company, and and I don't know, you know, why they would do that stuff. But you know, makes more stuff for me. So we all get additional music, you know, and that's good for us as a, as a fans. Yeah, I noticed that he Definitely. he really couldn't help himself as far as no matter what was coming at him. I mean, I know that there were some decisions made as far as the time ice cream castles because, you know, Tricky was supposed to be on ice cream castles. Chocolate was supposed to be on ice cream castles, which is unusual because that doesn't show up until like six years later. 
and then uh, yeah. my my summertime thing. And I can only imagine, and I can only think that the only reason why those three songs weren't also included on the Times album is because if you have Tricky and Chocolate and my summertime thing added to the album that's right. already amazing, it may have right. the potential to outshine what he's doing. And well, and yeah, that's to certain extent to that, but at the same time, because um, I think all three of those songs were basically recorded around the same weekend, uh, as I recall, like in April of '83, as I recall, um, and all of them had a similar theme. Was it had a major D uh, doing the you know the Prince playing the major D character? You can't have every song on the album having Prince being the major D. You know, that's that's a seasoning you don't want to have on every dish. And so it makes sense to have that in um, uh, chili sauce and stuff, but to not do that again on the same album. And at the same time, back then, the time was coming out with albums that just had six songs on them. So if you've got six songs, you've got two of them are already going to be on the soundtrack, the Purple Rain, so that's you now got four spots left. They got the title songs, so now you got three spots left. Okay, well, you kind of got to throw the ballad in there somewhere, okay, because they always have a ballad. Um, okay, and now you want to have the, uh, the chili sauce, which is a, a part of Rain. Okay, so now you got one spot left, and you can figure out if you do chocolate or My Summertime Thing or something like that or uh, My Drawers. Well, My Drawers is, is a really kick-ass song. And chocolate, again, like I said, it has a similar thing to... Um, with the major D, you've already established that it seems silly to kind of go back to that same thing of that. They recorded a number of songs at the time that I don't know whether they were necessarily going to be on that, but they would just record them. And, you know, by the time the album would come around, he'd figure out what six songs work best. And so he just decided that those would sit in the vault a little bit longer. And chocolate's a great song. I love chocolate. Chocolate makes me laugh every time I hear it. Yeah, it's a you great know. one. It's a great, it's, it's definitely a great one. Jimbo. <laughs> It just makes me laugh every time I hear it. I, and I, I think what was interesting, I, what was with uh, with um, what the where I was getting at with the question was specifically for the song um, "Sugar Walls," because here he is in the yes. middle of recording not one, not two, but three albums, recording a movie, and now all of a sudden he thinks, "Oh, I'm just going to just stop what I'm doing and I'm just going to write a song for Sheena Easton." It just that whole thing just seemed really out of place, like. You know, people okay. have got to be thinking, well, what's going things, on there? Right. There's a couple of things that could explain this. First off, something I think Jill Jones said, uh, and, and, and I, don't, I don't think I put this in the book, but oftentimes Prince's social life was based on music he'd create for other people. It was a, it was a calling card for him to meet people. Um, so he would, he would record something so that he would have an excuse to meet somebody or to hang out with them. Um, not that he needed an excuse, but it was an invitation for them to hang out with him. She needs is a beautiful woman and with a great set of uh, a great vocals, you know, vocal range. Um, and so it would make sense that when she was talking to David Leonard, who was recording, who was engineering her stuff, and she passed it on, he passed it on to Prince. The Prince would say, "Oh, I could get something," and he'd go with what he wanted. Prince was somebody that would record what was on his mind, and like I was saying earlier. Each day is a snapshot into what he is thinking and what he's doing. So on that day, he was interested in flirting with Sheena Easton. So that's where his brain was. His brain was, as an artist, unfiltered artist, was to record the song for Sheena Easton. 
other songs he did for Sheena Easton were in the vault. I mean, Eternity, I think, when he did that later in uh, 1985, was something from the vault. So he just went upstairs and grabbed it and said, here you go, new song, as far as you know. Um, whereas Sugar Walls was something he specifically recorded for her and uh, gave to her. But I think it was a calling card of, you know, hi, I'm Prince, I would like to work with you type thing. Right. Um, and that's where his brain was that day. Well, there's and, supposedly and so a whole you album see that reflected his work. Yeah, there's supposed to be a whole What's entire. A- there's supposed to be a whole entire album that he did with Sheena Easton, because she was kind of wanting to do something a little bit more along the lines of Sugar Walls, and she wanted to kind of do something that was a little bit raunchier. And a, a, this is this is actually documented that one of the things that's in vault is an, in the vault is an entire album that he recorded with her that she changed her mind on. So it's just something that's sitting in I there. I have not heard that. That's, uh, that's, and that's, that's the thing I have not heard. I, I, it's very possible. I have not heard that, and I have not interviewed uh, uh, Sheen uh, So I, I can't say. I know of one song, I think it's called Come Back to Me, that they did together that never came out. But I don't know of, a, of an entire album they did together. But, you know, again, I'm constantly finding out stuff that I had no idea. I wasn't there. I don't know Prince. I'm I'm at the luck of what I can find out, you know, and so that may be the case. If it is, I'd love to hear it. I oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I'm I'm fun. actually fine. I'm actually finding it for you while uh and <laughs> I'll find it for you while uh <laughs> while we're uh, while we're sitting here. Okay, Nikki, it's your turn. You got, you got. Uh, we're already at eleven o'clock. Oh, okay. We're already at eleven o'clock. So well, so we'll, let's ask a few a couple more questions and then and remind people where they can get this book. And, oh, yeah, um, yeah. and, uh, and you can get the book, you can get the book on Amazon. Just so yes. people know the, the book is called Prince and the Purple Rain Era Studio Sessions. I'm sorry. I said that fast. Prince and the Purple Rain Era Studio Sessions, 1983, 1984. They can find it on Amazon. Um, they can go to my website, Dwayne Tudal, D U A N E T U D A H L.com. And they can enter their web uh, their email address and download the first chapter uh, at the end of the first chapter is uh, a uh, coupon for thirty percent off. I think it is to get the um, book through the publisher. Um, and uh, so, um, but when they enter their email, they'll get on my mailing list. Um, and uh, those are the big places. You can also get it on Barnes and Noble. You can get it at Walmart, uh, Books a Million, a bunch of different places like that. They all sell it. It's it's in all bookstores and things like that. So it's everywhere. Hopefully. Hope it's in your favorite records, favorite bookstore, and probably the ones you don't like too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, Nikki, go ahead. You got. We'll we'll, we'll both we'll both okay. hit up with one more question. Okay, great. Okay, can can we get into the Sheila E. Glamorous Life album? I wanted to yes. ask yes. you Absolutely. if you can get into this, where how they met, uh, how they got in the studio together, how that album came about, how they created these songs, and. Uh, you know how she ended up on the Purple Rain tour. Uh, I know everybody loves Sheila. That listeners would love to hear about it. That's a qu- that's not a quick question. That's a long question. Uh, Sheila Sheila had known Prince uh, since earlier on the, his first album or so. Um, they had met. I want to say in San Francisco uh, at a concert, um, and uh, he came up to her and said. Um, uh, or she came up to him and was going to introduce herself, and he said, "I know who you are." So he he was aware of her career by this point, and 
he said, I'd like to hire you for my drums. And she said, you couldn't afford me. Or he said, I couldn't afford you. I guess it was one of the two. But the bottom line was they, they maintained a friendship that past that. And they met up like on the 1999 tour, they met up and, and, and hung out. But the first time they were actually recording together was in the beginning of 84. He recorded Glamorous Life at the end of 83, December of 83, but brought her in the studio in 80. She was in the studio for some of the stuff too, but started recording with her in 84, early 84. Um, and was doing, uh, some tracks with her where she was influencing the sound. And she was really somebody who influenced his music, just like Morris did. And just like, uh, um, Eric Leeds did where they could add something to his instrument, David Coleman, that they'd add something to him that he would take him in a different direction. And Sheila, as Sheila would add percussion and drums that he could not play. He's good at drums, great at drums really, but not the Latin feeling that she could bring. So she would add the drums to certain tracks. And toward the end of April, uh, toward, toward, toward the end of, in March of 84, he collected all the songs that he recorded for her and took it to Warner Brothers and said, I'd like to uh, pitch a Sheila E. album. Now, again, this is during the time when he was recording the Time album and the Apollonia 6 album and finishing up Purple Rain and finishing up the Purple Rain movie and... He then still said, I want, I've got another thing I want to do, and took it to Warner Brothers. They said, yep, you're hot. Let's, let's do it. And so within like two months, he was able to gather up all her stuff, have her record it at the end of March and beginning of April, and release it in, in, before Purple Rain came out. Purple Rain came out in June or July. Um, so he kind of got it in there before the big wave of Purple Rain washed over everything. And, uh, but she, they had a, a very focused week or so of those recordings with him uh, ha recording her vocals at Sunset Town where they'd spend days there just getting her vocals and all those tracks. And some of the tracks were tracks that were considered for Apollonia's album. Uh, uh, and some of the tracks were, you know, considered for Jill Jones's album and things like that. But he just said, okay, these are the tracks going to Sheila. And uh, that's where that came from. And, you know, and like I said, she influenced him a lot. And the reason why she played on the tour, not only was she, you know, already up to speed because she'd been touring um, before that, um, but the reason why she played on the tour was because the time broke up. And originally the tour, the Pearl Rain tour, was going to have Apollonia 6, The Time, and Prince playing on the tour. And Apollonia 6... Um, kind of got dropped because the time got time broke up and Prince said, you know, I'm just going to go in a different direction altogether and just change plans completely. But wouldn't that have been a cool tour to have? It would have been like the, the 1999 tour with the Vanity Six and the Time and Prince, but to have Apollonia Six, the Time and Prince all kind of doing a Purple Rain, you know, review oh, almost. Fantastic. Uh, been, I know, that would have been great. And I was thinking how cool it would have been because Prince got bored with the tour toward the end, how cool would it have been if he had said, you know what, I may not continue the Pro Rain tour, but what I'm going to do, because he was tired of the music, is start to phase in making this tour an Around the World a Day tour, and then start adding more and more Around the World a Day tour, and, and getting rid of some of the Pro Rain tours, and just keep touring. That would have been cool, but, you know, again, he was wanted to get off the road by that point. But I just, I can't imagine what it would have been like to have the time playing on the Purple Rain tour. And even Prince said it would have been it would have been chaos because there would have been some nights maybe even that the time would have because I know Prince there were some yeah. cities 
he oh, would yeah. say, you guys are not open enough for me. because. Oh, yeah. Uh, but he couldn't do that. And he wouldn't have been able to do that on the Purple Rain tour. He could do that with a little more anonymity um, on the 1999 tour. We're not having the time play because they were kicking his butt in Detroit and other cities, New York City and maybe Los Angeles. But he couldn't do that on the Purple Rain tour. And, and so that would have been a great thing to see them competing because they both would have upped each other's game. Even though it's Prince's house, the time was very effective live. So, yeah. Well, at well that that's point, why he had stopped. That's why when they took a break on the 1999 tour, he said, I'm going to work the revolution harder because at the time we're getting more recognition for their life. Right. And, Trent, and then you'll see in the book, there's a lot of times I quote Prince saying stuff like that, because that is, that is actually directly from Prince. Um, even though he didn't say it's a revolution because it wasn't a revolution yet, he still was saying... Right. You know, I'm going to take that band, the band, the 1999 band, and I got to make them a crack team because the time was kicking our butt. And that's for Prince to have said that. That's an effective admission that he referred to it as like Godzilla. He think he said in the book it's Godzilla. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah. And 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 Morris and all those guys are quoting that too, saying, you know, we did. Uh, we we were we were a monster. And and uh, there were nights I I I know that Prince was sitting there going. They're beating me. They're beating me, and that but that upped each other's game. That made Jesse and Jerome, Jesse and Morris, have to really go higher, and Prince had to go higher, and that made the people who benefited from that were the crowds watching. You know, that would have been that to me would have been the fun thing to see is those guys competing against each other, knowing they had to kick each other's butt. So that's awesome. Yeah, time and getting a lot of recognition here in New York City too at the time. Yeah. So yeah, I know oh, Detroit, yeah. L.A. Oh yeah. yes, yeah. All right, so I, I found the site. I found the so site for you. I found the site for you. It's uh, it's uh, and I'll send okay. you. I'll send you the link if you send me an email. I'll send you the link. But the website is called On the A Side, and it talks about um, specific uh, documented things that that are in the vault. And the project is with Sheena East, and it's called the album is called Late Night Train, and it is uh, okay. it's a shelved project with Sheena Easton, who was. Uh, contemplating a rated R image at change at the time, but I guess she just decided that she changed her mind. But there was so much. This this list is actually kind of make you laugh. It's, it's I would love to see you uh, pick apart some of the things that are in here. There was actually uh, one one thing that I was looking over when uh, when you guys were talking about this album. That's uh, another another album that's in the vault called Pure Energon. Which is a transformer themed concept album with that he did with the Information Society. <laughs> it's like, uh, okay, that's something I don't know. I, I, yeah, I so, do not know that. I mean, here's the, here's the other thing that just to understand is the last several years I've been really focused on eighty three, eighty four. So there's probably a bunch of stuff that happened, and 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 you know eighty one, eighty two, and eighty five, eighty six. So there's probably stuff outside that range that I have not really paid attention to and then and, and I, I don't doubt that there's some of that stuff out there it just i i can't add anything to that i had never heard that there was an entire sheena album i i would really enjoy hearing that because i i just want to hear every note prince has ever done but right. i don't i don't know of it right. so i can't add anything yeah but i'm gonna save i'm just gonna just it's save a, my question because i think we've you know i i i i, I obviously want to make sure that we honor your time and I want to thank you so, so much first, obviously for, um, for putting together this book and for working 
so hard and so diligently on this book because it, it, it you can tell that when you know it's being written by a person that really loves and wants to honor Prince's legacy here. And I, I know that he hadn't passed yet, uh, you know, when you were at, at that point, but you can tell that, um, I, I just feel like I wish that Prince would have been able to see this book. I just, I, and, 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 and I, I wrote it, I wrote it with him in mind with, I wrote it when he was still alive, thinking that he would see this. I tried to honor him as much as possible. And also he was a little litigious and I didn't want to have him suing me. So I was hoping that he'd say it because I would love to have had his reaction to this. So, you know. Right. Yeah, I, I'm just, I, I was very... Well, so again, thank you so, so much for joining us. Uh, sure. Mr. Dwayne Tudal. again, you can get this book at DwayneTudal.com, D-U-A-N-E-T-U-D-A-H-L.com. You can pick it up there, but you can also pick it up in a variety of different places. I mean, I've I've seen it actually in bookstores. I've seen it in Amazon. Um, so it, it's it's literally everywhere, and we have the link to it up on the Funkatopia Facebook page. Great. And yep. uh, for those who missed any of this or had to step away to go do whatever it is that you had to do, we will also make sure that the recording of this uh, interview is put up in its entirety. Um, with technical difficulties edited out. (laughs) (laughs) And one of the things, and one of the things that we always do, um, uh, and when we, we do these purple prime times is we always close the night with, um, taking requests from various folks, uh, who may want to hear, you know, specific songs because normally from six to 12, every single night we play all prints. So it's, it, it spans his entire career. We pull songs from his entire career. So, uh, why don't you, why don't you start, start this off and let us know what songs that, uh, just, just throw out a few songs that you'd like to hear and we'll make sure that we get them on after we're done. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. I was thinking about this earlier. What did I... I uh, oh, God. Let me see what you I, told me you'd do this afternoon. Yeah, I did tell you. What did I tell you this afternoon? I, what was wrong? You said Mutiny, Yes, My Drawers. Ice Cream Castles. Yeah, I... I Ice Mutiny, Cream Castles? Yeah, Mutiny's one of my favorite. Mutiny and Yes, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the family. And so, to me, two of the strongest songs on that album are... are well, I like High Fashion as well. But I love Mutiny, and I love Yes. Yes, to me, is it's, it's kind of like Madhouse. The Madhouse album is great. Yes, to me, is what he was leading toward Madhouse with. I mean, yes, inspired Madhouse. Um, and, and it's just, it's, to me, just great. It, it, it's not only great music, it's great music that if you, you didn't know, you would not know Prince was involved. And that's what makes, to me, is so important and vital is the man created his own genres. This is a guy that uh, would create funk, pop, rock, uh, ballads, um, you know, all this different stuff, soul, rhythm, blues, uh, you know, everything you could do, gospel, and do it flawlessly. And that, to me, what we had with Prince is something we don't get anywhere else. And when you hear songs like Yes, or you hear something like that, you're thinking, where did that come from? I, I don't I don't know. And, and the saddest thing to me is that there's nobody that could do what he did. And that's why nope. fans are really, you know, we're rabid about this stuff. We are obsessive about it. 
we want to know every detail. We want to know that. We want to hear the extended version, even if it's got an extra 20 seconds of a song, because we're like, oh, that 20 seconds makes the song. You know, it's, we, we are obsessed with this stuff, and we honor him by playing as much as we can, and you guys doing your show, which is great. You know, you guys are keeping his legacy alive in, in, in the way you can, and you're, you're making it so that the cool thing is what you guys do is you guys are making this thing, and this thing is going to be up and it's eternal. People will always be able to look back on this and say, oh, what did they do back then? Oh, this is two years after Prince passed, and they were, they were still talking about this, and this was, they didn't know this, or this song hadn't been released yet, and so they're, they're still talking about this. And people will be able to look back on things like this show, not necessarily my show, but your guys' shows, and hear the passion and check it out. And there's young musicians right now that are just learning stuff and that'll hear about this music and investigate it and find it out and start being inspired. And yeah, we're never going to have another Prince, but we're going to have people that do great stuff. And I think a lot of people are going to do great stuff based on what Prince inspired them to do. And I can't say enough great things about all the community, the, the people that are involved with, with keeping this alive and how vital it is that we all work together and, and, and put aside any differences about what we think to have one goal. And that goal is to extend Prince's legacy to the next generation, because if we don't make a bridge to the next generation in some form, Prince passes with us. And I, I don't want that. I can't have that. Neither do we. No, yeah. this is why we're doing the show. Yeah. It's about it, love. Exactly. It makes sense. coming together, being as one, uh, bringing the music to the people, you know, like, like, for example, one of the things we started doing now, Chris and I is, you know, I talk to people all the time. Hey man, you know, Friday night, what you want to hear? Oh, could you play this for me? They're listening. And, and what we want to do is we want to take the passion and just kind of grow with it every single week. And it's nothing, but nothing but love with doing this. Um, I feel in my heart that this is what Prince would want all of us to do in the time of him not being here, take the music and bring it to the people. Well, and, and that, that makes the most sense because he, this is our way of keeping him alive. You know, we'll never get him back. We will never have another one. But what he left us is a treasure trove of stuff and then things that aren't discovered yet that will be discovered of just music. And, and here's the thing I found with Prince music and, and music in general, but really Prince music. If I'm sad... I know there's songs in there that he's got to say exactly what I'm feeling when it comes to being sad. When I'm in a great Agreed. mood, there's enough songs on his, and I'll find it just by putting something in randomly, and I'll find that song, and it, it amplifies my mood or helps me commiserate and makes me feel like, yes, you get it. And you think that a lot of this stuff was done by a guy by himself in the studio without anybody around. And the, the channeling of energy that this guy must have had to the world absorb absorbing stuff and then letting this out to give you goosebumps when you hear a man playing an instrument in a studio that happened years ago is a phenomenal thing and it really is a sign that what he's doing is finding a place in your heart and touching that place in your heart and that's why we feel so connected to this guy and when he died it was like losing a friend you know, it really was like losing a family member because every one of us will remember exactly where we were when we heard about this. 
We all do. You, you, you talk to any hardcore Prince fan, even the basic Prince fans, they know exactly the room they were in, who they got the information from, when they found out that Prince passed. That's just, you know, it's like, like, like JFK dying or something like that. It's a huge life-turning thing for a lot of the people. Yep. And the nice thing to me was finding out that I wasn't alone. Because when we like Prince, you sometimes feel like you're the oddball and that you're the one that does it. And you don't want to say to everybody, yeah, I'm a big Prince fan, because some people go, what? And yep. but, but then to find <laughs> out that when he passed, they turned the Niagara Falls purple or the Eiffel Tower purple, and you're like going, oh, my God, I'm not the only guy on the planet that's sad. The entire planet is sad right now, and they're sad because this voice is silence. And that's, that was confirming to me that, all the energy I put into this and all the love that I put into this music and all my collection and all my time and all the time on a beanbag chair with headphones on listening to a rehearsal where you just hear him talking to the band was not wasted. That it was time spent connecting to a bigger piece of energy in the world and that I have a piece of this now and that when I meet people that are Prince fans, I have a connection to them that I can say a lyric from a B-side and I'll have somebody out of the two or three people I'm there with nodding their head going, oh, yeah, dude, I'm right there with you. And that, well, that is something that I don't think – I can't imagine going through life without that connection. And that is something amazing that I did not imagine would happen after he passed, that I would get friends like you guys and, and people that would come into my life that would say what you believe is important, what you like is important, and we can jam together. And I don't care what race you are, what religion you are, what size, what age, what sex you are. We all are here for this one thing. We're all going to do it together. That's the coolest thing ever. That's me right now. Great. You know, talk about geeky things like the vault or geeky things like, you know, what's the next album and stuff like this. And, and the fact that it's, it's a, it's something around the world does make you realize that there's something to this and there's, there's an importance that we didn't quite understand. And granted, when I was at a concert and I saw him, you could feel that energy and you felt the connection with everybody there. But most of the time I was listening to Prince, I was by myself. I would be driving or I'd be going to sleep or I'd be, you know, whatever it is. It was me listening, you know, 80%, 90% of the time by myself. So I had a personal relationship with him, I felt like. And so we he all there when, Chris, yeah. myself, everybody. Exactly. We, um, exactly. The, the thing that's expressive to this, and I don't, I'm not cutting you off, just that no, no. It's, it's like after he passed, I actually had family members and friends who didn't like Prince at all come to me and say, did I miss something? And I said, Yes, you did. Yeah. And I would give these yeah. people CDs and say, hey, you want to hear some great stuff, man? I know this is the kind of music you listen to. You want to check this out? And they would never get back to me. And now they're like, I missed something, didn't I? Oh, my God. And I'm like, you sure did. Yeah. And, and, and that is basically the note I would end on. We were lucky to have been able to go to the concerts and see this guy. Because you can see him on videotape now. It's not the same. But if you were at the concerts and you were like, those of us where you really worked hard to get up front or you were some in a small club if you're lucky enough and you got to watch this guy feet away from you playing in a way that trans transcended music and he the guitar was a part of him there's just nobody that does that nobody that, that, that can do it like that you watch him at the rock and roll hall of fame the way he's playing his solo and he's just the guy loved doing what he did and there was a joy to what he did and he we all 
were junkies for that. And, and it was, and we always got our fixes and that's the tough thing now where it's, we're not getting our fix. And so we're having to get our fix with each other now. And I'm discovering new friends and reestablishing old friendships that I kind of lost based on this. And it's, it's, you know, there are good things that happen from the, the silver lining is the fact that we've been able to come together as a, as a group and, and comfort each other and console each other and, and make sure everybody knows that you, what you felt was important. And that's, and that's, you know, at the end of the day, everybody wants to feel important. And and I think that this makes us all feel like we were part of something big. So that's my thought. Thank you so much again, Dwayne, for joining us and, uh, Go pick out the book. If if anybody has been sitting here wondering, I wonder if I should get this book, don't even second guess yourself. It is easily my it, – it took the top spot as my favorite Prince book that has been written. <laughs> I, I, and I'm not <laughs> kidding just because oh – yes. well, I'm not saying that just because you're here. I'm saying that because th- this is a – this type of book is is a game changer. It just it just was. It was a game changer, wow. and um, I'm Thank honored to have you on you. on. And I and when the paper book paperback version of it comes hey, back, you have to well, come on yeah, and talk about it. I would like to come back. Yeah. Absolutely. And if you like the book and if you read the book, write a review on Amazon. If you if you you know if you if you really enjoyed the book, go to Amazon and write a review on it. Because uh, like I said, the more the more reviews, the better chance it is for having a second book. And also Amazon, when they see a certain amount of reviews, they start promoting the book, and that's always a good thing because if Amazon's promoting it and putting it on other people's pages, that helps get this out. And the more people that see this, the more people understand the 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 epic. Uh, career of Prince, and that makes me very happy. So you are known as I refer you to as the George Lucas of purple music. By the way. <laughs> I don't know if that's good. <laughs> it's very good. Yes, it's, listen, the young George Lucas, please. Yes, right. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you have you have done something remarkable, my friend. Remarkable, and you have made so many people happy. By getting this book released, you have brought so much joy to everybody, and I'm telling you this from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Wow, that, you guys have made my night. I mean, I, I, well, I, I wasn't coming on here to get smoke blown up my butt, but I, I feel like uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. We're not blowing <laughs> smoke up your butt. We're, we're honoring you for the hard Thank work you. you've done. This, this, is, right. no, this is really. This is this is amazing. Thank you guys, and I and and again, you guys rock. I love your show. I'm honored to be on it, and Nikki and I've been talking about getting me on here for a while, and and we finally were able to work it out. Um, so thank you guys, and and uh, if anybody's up in San Francisco coming up this weekend, uh, we're doing the thing on Sunday. Like I said, look that up on my uh, Facebook page, and in Los Angeles next weekend, the show in Purple Rain on Friday night and Saturday night, and I'm on the panel, and I'm I'm uh, signing books. Uh, both nights, and then up in Minneapolis in April, I am at the symposium, and I'm speaking on the 18th. Uh, if you're up there, introduce yourself to me. Please introduce yourself to me. Absolutely. Tell me you heard me on this show, because I, I want I want people to come up. I want you know, Chris. I want you to meet, uh, introduce yourself to me. And if people, the other thing is, if people when they go up to the Minneapolis thing, bring your book. If I haven't signed it yet, and you want to get it signed, walk around with it. The reason why I'm saying that is a couple things. First off, I'll bring bookmarks with me. And if I see you with a book 
and you, you got it and you want me to sign it, I'll give you a bookmark. That's, I'm happy to do that. Second off, you're walking around with a book. People are going to see that and say, what's that book? Tell them about the book. If you like it, tell them about the book. And let them know that this book's available so they can, they can get it. Because the more people that have this book, the more people understand Prince a little bit more. And, and I'm honored to be a small part in extending his legacy. But if people are walking around the, uh, the, the, uh, the celebration and the, uh, the symposium with a book, that'd be great. I'm going to be signing books that day probably at the symposium uh, at the, I think, the PRN alumni table um, that after, early afternoon, I think. It's, we're working on the details. Um, but that'll be, uh, I'll be doing that. And then I think there's two or three events up there. Look on my Facebook page, which is the com- Prince, the complete studio sessions. what I call it? Uh, oh God, I can't remember that now. Prince, the complete studio sessions book series. Uh, go to that. Now that Chris is a member, everybody should join. Uh, Absolutely. and, uh, and join up and you'll find out exactly where I am, what I'm doing. And I want to meet all of you. I really want to meet. Shake your hand, take a picture. Let me sign your book. Whatever you want, It'd be great. Thanks, Dwayne, guys. Look forward to this. Dwayne Tudal, author talk, of Prince and the Purple Rain Era Studio Sessions, nineteen eighty three and nineteen eighty four. Definitely pick it up, Dwayne. I'm gonna start. Um, we're gonna go into the music section with uh, a song you requested of Yes. Thank you guys for tuning yes. in to the Purple Prime Time, and here is Yes. One of Dwayne's selections. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you.